to another Blah Blah Comics 2.0. I'm Derek. I'm Colby. And we talk comics sometimes. It is so good to be back. It has been a bit. Uh, for those of you who don't listen to our respawns, uh, we mentioned on that episode, there was some uh, some fairly serious uh, life occurrences uh, kept us uh, from keeping up with our normal schedule like we'd planned to. Uh, we were doing so good. We went a whole year of basically not falling off the schedule. And then uh, this last month got really, really rough. But we are going to do our best to make it up for you. Uh, we, like I said, we did a respawn last week. We're doing a blah blah this week. We'll do a blah blah next week, and then a respawn the week after that. So you'll have a whole month of blah blah content. Um, again, it is so good to be back. We have so much weird shit to talk about. By the way, not only did we do a respawn last week, but we I also guest starred on the other uh, show on this network, Dangerous Humans, uh, which had a fairly blah blah feel to it. So if you haven't gone to listen to that, it was the uh, co-star of Dangerous Humans. Daniel's birthday. Uh, happy birthday shout out to him yet again. Uh, we had a fast, fun, fantastic conversation. Y'all should go listen to that too. And um, after you get caught up here, of course. Uh, I have been talking a lot and I have not said, Hi, Colby, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. No, I like hearing you talk a lot. It's always welcome. <laughs> I tend to ramble, so I really appreciate that. We have so much shit to talk about, dude. We got comics, we got news, we got movies. Yeah. It's it's been a bit, and we have a fuck ton to cover. So, uh, what are you in the mood for, man? That's a good question. I don't know where to start right now because we do have so much that we just didn't really talk about. Uh, we have a lot of comics that are backed up. Uh, we can start normally. Well, normally we start with news, so you know what? We'll just go ahead and start with it. I think. Some of the, there's been a lot of big news. Some of the biggest news for us lately, and for a lot of people out there, you know, we, we all love X-Men here at this entire network, and they announced their future plans for X-Men, and there's not a ton we actually know. They've announced some creative teams, some renumberings. We know more about and, the and gala. Some, uh, books that have uh, classified titles. Which is a... I, I don't know how I feel about literally doing the, the classic announcing to announce something. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan I, because it, it builds – I feel like it builds meaningless speculation. Like I kind of want to get excited for the, the new Hickman X book, whatever it is, because the rumor I saw recently that got me stoked was that it's finally, he's finally going to do the Moira X book that was teased way back at the end of uh, House of X Powers of 10. That still hasn't happened, but I don't know, and I don't want to get my hopes up for something that's not going to happen, uh, whereas I can actually legitimately get my hopes up about a Gary Dugan written – uh, X book, which is the the one of the big announcements, is that uh, X Men is getting re renumbered, um, and is now going to be the the team book following the actual elected X persons, yeah. written by Gary Duggan, art by I want to say Pepe Larraz, but I'm not positive. Yeah, it's it's the House and Powers guy. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a big fan of Pepe Larraz. I love what he's he's done with the X books. So uh, I think it's going to be a beautiful book. Him and uh, Mahmoud Asar both have done some amazing stuff with the X titles. I'm always keen to see what they do uh, with X books. So I'm I'm happy with the announcement. Uh, you had some really salient points though in regards to both that and then something you wanted to talk about oh, why yeah. you seem to be uh, falling off the X train. So, uh, I, this is my problem with it. I, Gary Duggan is a very competent, very, he's a good writer, but he's just 
He's one of the ones that doesn't really excite me. Mm-hmm. I look at him, he's like a very solid workhorse rider. Like, you know you're going to get good work. He's never written anything that, for me, like, blew me away. But he's I written... thought you really liked Marauders. I liked it. Didn't blow you away, though? Yeah, it, did. it was like, a, it was a solid... Again, he's, everything he's written that I've read, I've enjoyed. It's been solid work. Can I make a recommendation? I think of I've course. made this recommendation to you before, uh, but I want to make it to you and our listeners both. If you haven't read his uh, Hulk run that uh, took over from Mark Wade and I think led into Secret Wars, which kind of like so many books that got led into Secret Wars, um, unfortunately ended up chopping off a longer frame story that he was planning to tell. Um, he does. He did a really, really fantastic Hulk run that I wish would get collected in a nice, uh, a nice little hardcover. Uh, basically, what he did was he figured out a way to smartly uh, depower all the non-him or Jennifer Walter Hulks and make it fit into a story, so that you no longer had you know Red Hulk or A Bomb or any of those characters running around. It was it was solid work, and uh, I try I try to recommend it to everybody I see because. One, it's a great Hulk story, and we need more of those being read. Sure. And two, I think it's a really good example of Gary Duggan as like this, like come out of nowhere, hit you with the story you weren't expecting. Writer, that's fair. I need I I need to read more of him, but I'll look into that too. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. so I think to begin with, like I kind of wish if you're going to relaunch it, I do wish if you're going to like relaunch it with like this is the X Men. I do wish they would have brought in. A different to either someone we haven't heard from for a long time or try to get like some crazy big writer. Mm-hmm. I think the only problem is right now DC's done a really good job of signing up a lot of people that would normally be the go to for that. You know who I'd like to see? I'm sure you could guess it if you really thought about it. Uh, I mean, Tom Taylor? Chip Zdarsky. Oh, well, Zdarsky's a weird one because they fucking they do have him and it's like. They do. But they don't have him doing any teamwork, and he's about to do a Justice League book over at DC. Yeah. And I feel like between giving him Justice League and letting him do a Batman story, I feel like DC is slowly twi- trying to wean away Zdarsky. And um, I have a really strong feeling if his if his Daredevil run starts wrapping up, he is going to make the jump. I think he, yeah, I think him and Taylor both are not long for the Marvel comics world. Yeah. Uh, for. It's sad, but also DC's like dangling some pretty massive carrots in front of both of them. Exactly. That's 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 my big worry because Zdarsky and Ewing are Marvel's aces in the hole, and Marvel very clearly does not know exactly what to do with either of them. Uh, but at least they gave Ewing an event. Um, Zdarsky is having. I think uh, uh, Al Kennedy on Twitter put it best. It's like he is having an epic all-timer run on a character known for having epic all-timer runs. His Daredevil run is superb. And the fact that Marvel isn't figuring out some way to capitalize on that, the same way they capitalized on Donny Cates' Venom run, I I don't know what they're thinking. They're going to lose him. I have no clue either. I have no clue what's going on there, but... To go back to X Men for a minute, yeah, it's, I'm so uh, sorry. oh no, it's fine because uh, one, him taking over is like I kind of wish I had more exciting uh, rider at least. That's he's fine, but whatever. Two, the renumbering so soon after, and especially the renumbering where you you have a new team that you're supposed to feel like a fresh new team, and it's like you're getting the old house basically. Mm-hmm. 
Which, yeah, um, you you said that they should have called it Uncanny X Men since it is actually going to be a superhero book. Yeah, and I could not agree more. That that actually makes a lot of sense, and it feels like a fumbled ball now that you've said it. It does. It does feel bizarre that they're not doing that. Uh, but and I'll, I'll, we haven't mentioned who the new team is. Uh, yeah, in fact, I'm, I, I've been told, but other than Polaris, I, I keep trying to consciously block out the new team because I, I didn't want it spoiled for me, but it totally got spoiled for me. I oh. know Laura Kinney, Wolverine, and Sink are both on there, which is super exciting because their most recent issue of X-Men really make me want to see them uh, together more. Uh, who else is on it? Cyclops and Jean Grey, right? I believe so. I, I'll be honest. I was hoping you knew because I haven't been keeping up with X-Men as well. <laughs> I've been keeping up with the news, but I haven't been keeping up with that. Uh, Hold on. I can tell you real quick. Yeah, uh, I know. I know Laura was on Derek the team. Oh, yes. Yeah, I know Laura was on the team, and I'm excited. I still, we still have that problem where I hope they treat her well, and I hope they kind of find a place for her to really belong. Cause I like, mm-hmm. I like what they did with her in Fallen Angels, and a cut, and a little bit in a, uh, where they used her afterwards. But it does still feel like they finally kind of had direction for her, and they don't really. Then they lost it for a long time, so maybe now she can kind of. It feels like with the, this last, this most recent issue of X Men, which uh, focused on her sink and Darwin being trapped in the vault. I think uh, they definitely uh, Hickman has plans for her for sure. So the team uh, that will be the official X Men superhero team is Cyclops, Jean Grey, Sunfire, Rogue, Polaris, Sink, and X twenty three. Okay, yeah, it's not a bad team. It's a solid team. It's a solid lineup. It's definitely the lineup of somebody who knows their X Men history. Um, for it's, sure. Uh, that is another fear of mine is it almost feels like a really fresh team if this was 2005. Uh, I hate to say that's fair, but that's fair. But then again, just to play a little bit of a counterpoint. Um, how long has it been since Marvel was allowed to do anything fresh and exciting with the X-Men? I mean, it's been since 2013. I'd say even further than that, because the uh, the House of M event was in like 2003, 2004. And there are some rumors that the decision to quit focusing on the X-Men so much because Fox owned the property may go back that far. I don't know, because I would say all of Schism and AVX and like Wolverine and the X-Men were like, you love them or hate them, Uncanny X-Force. Mm-hmm. Some of the, some of the at least ideas that Gillen did was like kind of far out there for X Men. Yeah, that's fair. I, mean, I think they were better for better or worse. They were doing new things, but uh, you know, after 20, 2013 to twenty eighteen was like the super stagnant, nothing happened period. Yeah. Uh, plus, you have all the hope shit and all of the after that. So, I mean, there's been again better worth developments it's just for a long time we haven't had any like new blood in the team right which that i I think oh that's one of my big issues i keep on it's weird that like hickman's pushing a lot of people who again had they been pushed in 2002 three four five it would have been their time but now it sadly does feel like their time kind of came and went and he's like retroactively making them important which it's okay, except now we have a whole new breed of mutants that are now kind of being the same boat that these ones were forever ago. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of just repeating a cycle. I think that's... So, I'll kind of tie it into what the, the Quietly interview, where Frank Quietly did an interview with the... It's off the page? Uh, something like that. He did, a, he did a podcast interview recently where 
he just talked about his career and kind of retrospective, but they talked about X-Men, talked a lot about how Grant Morrison had pitched X-Men and kind of the fallout of that, because I think a lot of people forget the giant backlash that Quietly and Morrison got for their X-Men. Right. Because now, cause he, you know, he was talking about how now, like every panel, every convention they go to, people will ask, "Oh, how did it feel like making a classic X Men story?" And they're like, "It didn't feel like a fucking classic at the time." People are saying we were ruining the X Men, right? And uh, he talked about Morrison's like how how Morrison basically explained because quietly didn't keep up with a lot of comics, and how Morrison explained it simply was that uh, the Avengers were a sports team, Fantastic Four was a family, and that the uh, X-Men were basically a soap opera set at a school at the core. Yeah. And I yeah. and they talk about it, and I don't know why I had a light bulb moment. Like, oh yeah, I think that's part of the reason I'm not loving Hickman stuff is I think we've lost a lot of that so like school soap opera drama shit mm-hmm. that I think you need. Cause I, it, but like I didn't realize like we really haven't had a full on like school in the X-Men in a long ass time. Yeah. They tried, I feel like uh, Lemire tried, tried. to keep yeah. uh, like a semblance of that in Extraordinary. Oh, yeah. Um, They're but definitely. that quickly fell by the, way, the wayside. I would argue, um, not not that Grant Morrison is wrong, but that that formula is so tried and true at this point that you have to, that you have to get away from it. Uh, Morrison had his really beautiful spin on it by turning yeah. it into even more of a school. Uh, Cause I mean, you got to remember before Morrison came on the whole school for gifted youngsters had like, you know, six to 10 students, however many actual X-Men there were. Yeah. Um, Morrison is the one who turned it into a school with students and introduced all those yeah. characters to become students. Um, so he put his personal spin on it. I feel like, and again, this is just my personal feelings towards it. Um, Hickman spinning wildly away from that concept and taking the X Men into a completely new space uh, was what was needed. I think we needed to get well, away from from the the tried and true soap opera of it and and, and make it something entirely new. Well, see, I would argue because my big argument to that is like, I personally like, again Wolverine, the X Men, Uncanny X Force was the last time X Men to me was like. A great book, right? And I think it's because Hickman. I don't. Th- I don't think Hickman's done anything new. I think he's just kind of re- done the reverse and reverted back to Claremont X Men, and reverted back to okay, we got to have big events, and it's not about. The, it's not like and I don't mean. I don't mean good. Cla- this is let me clarify. I mean like late era Claremont of Claremont and going into uh, like when he was with uh, Lee, and then going into uh, Lobdell X Men and shit like that. I was gonna say that's, that's not Claremont. That's that's Lee and Lobdell. That uh, was and Claremont pre, being taken along for a ride. And pre, let me, and also pre Morrison Claremont. Yeah, uh, like that era of Claremont, Lobdell, Claremont, and whoever else. All those people, like basically ninety one to ninety nine, kind of. But the idea of taking it away from the soap opera so much, so I'm making it much more just. Like a, any other team book of we're face you know we're fighting giant event giant event universe ending thing universe ending thing giant event giant event weird thing weird thing and now Hick because my thing on Hickman is we still kind of just feel like we're getting all the important like we're getting nothing but this is important this is important this is important and because it's almost taking an anthology thing or an anthology idea we get like no just downtime in between anymore where it's like it happens in all the other books it happens everywhere else but it, it's almost starting to feel like hickman's x-men's not so much a spine as it is just like random stories that kind of loosely connect all the other books 
and I don't like. To me personally, like green, it just feels like it just feels. I like it because the quality is good. I think that's what bums me out. The quality, the Hickman stuff, is the best quality again we've had in a very long time. Yeah, in a very, 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 very long time. I, I don't know. I'm just starting to feel. I, I I feel very weird, like kind of burned out on on it, and I then I realized we only have, we're only like what eighteen issues in the Hickman's X Men. Yeah, but the thing is, you have to for this particular run, unlike so many other runs, especially of X Men, um, you really do have to fold in all the other events happening in all of the other books. If this line is literally is that, more interconnected than it's ever been. But is that a good X-Men book then? Or is it just like a good footnote page? It's a good pages? X-Men line. It's a good X-Men line. I don't, think you, I don't think you need to, and I don't think it's necessarily fair to, single out one book when... It's kind of like the, uh, the Superman books in the 1990s. If you're like, man, Man of Steel really sucks. Yeah, it's because it's the third issue of a four issue story every month and you're not reading the other three issues but um, isn't that like it's, inherently it's a full story inherently what people kind of hate about comics like the idea that you have to be reading 10 books to understand what's going on i mean maybe because i kind of I, I would kind of disagree because i think x-force again because i've cut out all titles except for wolverine x-force and i am behind on them but I feel like I can read Wolverine and X Force and both those titles, and I, especially I can read just X Force and not have to really understand what's going on anywhere else, and it makes sense. And Wolverine, for the most part, does too. It's really only X Men when I read the X Men title. It does feel like oh, I'm missing thirteen chapters every issue. But I, again, I don't like I don't like Excalibur. Marauders lost me. Uh, Children of the Atom was whatever. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm skipping Children of the Atom. That is the the book I thought X Factor was going to be. It's the first X book that I've just completely avoided oh. and do not miss. I'm not caught up on X Factor, but X Factor feels like it's pretty much like the. I, I've only read like five or six issues, but those five or six issues, they were outside of when they did connect to uh, Swords of X and everything, every, or X Swords. It didn't. Outside of that, like it was very of itself. I feel like it's really only Hickman's but it's X-Men. Of on Krakoa. Well, it's on Krakoa, but... The, the resurrection of mutants and whether or not this should be done. Yeah, but that's... And just... expanding on the larger themes of death and, and what death means in comics. Well, yeah, but again, that's just a setting and the placement where I feel like Hickman is not... Hickman's book right now is like, it does not work alone. I feel like the others work alone. Hickman's right now doesn't and that feels really weird to me knowing hickman you would think would be the book that they're selling as this is x-men i feel like i feel like i already made this argument on dangerous humans but i think it's just the way hickman writes man because again going back and reading his his avengers one um reading it in a oneer it makes so much more sense than reading it you know monthly or bi-monthly or whatever as an individual comic because it does feel very disjointed and disconnected but if you sit down and read it as like one long run it it really locked together and you saw the threads that he was continuing and it made a lot more sense i'm i'm just i may be afraid, i'm i'm afraid you may just be experiencing reading comics jonathan hickman writes uh, but does that i mean i hate to say this but why the fuck is he a comics writer and doesn't just release graphic novels in 
That's an excellent question, and I'm afraid I can't answer that one. Um, that's but like, I, know, I know I'm not alone in enjoying his work. Oh, I get. I don't. That he sets it. I don't. I don't hate his work, and I think it's. De- I think it's good. It's decent to really great work at the high end. Uh, I'll stand by Black Monday's Murders, the most boring, dri- like boring shit in the world. <laughs> uh, and I've read a lot of like really wordy Alan Moore. <laughs> and also, I'm gonna say it's fuck Hickman for trying to like for like every five pages. Going, we need a like giant sheet of paper here of just like six paragraphs of random shit. You, you know why he does that, right? I don't give a shit that, why that, he does that's, it. That's where it's supposed. That's where the ads are supposed to go. I don't. So instead it's of interrupting the story with an ad, he's he's adding to the story with additional material. I want an ad. <laughs> I, I hate those. I, I told you, never read one of Hickman's. Uh, I see it. I skip it. Uh, I hate him. I hate him so much. My, my brain doesn't work like that. It throws my brain off when I see it. I'm just like, I don't want. I can't do it. Uh, say again, going back to one reason I hated Black Monday Murders <laughs> was he. I think that I think that's the book where he really started making that a part of his style. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, I don't like it. And I, I think I'm, I think I, I've realized I like, I, I don't know how I feel about Hickman. This has almost been like crisis of faith in that Cause I used to consider Hickman a writer I liked, mm-hmm. but the more I've gotten away from it, like maybe I just like East of West. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to bring it up cause I think East of West is arguably his, his best and most accessible work. Yeah. Cause I think. He's like Hickman. I don't know how this sounds mean. He remind Hickman reminds me of the more we get away from it. It's like a much more analytical Morrison. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you took out, if you take away the punk rock spirit of Morrison, and you take away like the the crazier stuff, and you kind of leave the more just direct part of Morrison with the sprinkling. You still get you, like you still get weird stuff, but you never get the super weird stuff well it's, it's hickman is a very 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 analytical writer to the point where he's a lot like christopher nolan he'll sit down and plot out his entire plot planned run on a comic book series on a fucking whiteboard with various colored markers and show you exactly where everything is going to hit plot point by plot point which is why i think his fantastic four run falls apart after the the big climax where johnny comes back and they defeat um the negative zone because i think they he ended up staying on they kept him on fantastic four longer than he intended to because after that happens he's got one good thing story and then the rest of it's just like him just so, kind of like running around trying to figure out what you know what to write until he gets moved over to Avengers and and has a new plot that he wants to work through. So see, I'm interested. I really do like I really do like his writing and the stuff like that. But that kind of, to me, part of that it kind of gets kind of far away from the beauty of comics, mm-hmm. where the beauty of comics, where unlike other books, is you can. It's not quite real time, but you can literally see reactions to books. You can see reactions to what things are happening. And you can kind of, if new ideas come in and out, if you're five, six issues ahead, you can implement them. Mm-hmm. And it, it does somewhat feel like uh, there's that weird line where you don't want to be reactionary to everything, but you also don't want to be inflexible to change. Mm-hmm. And I worry if that's kind of... Like COVID is a good example where clearly Hickman did like Hickman's line, Hickman's pace didn't change from COVID, right? Where he 
and that's part of it too, where I, I do wonder had had we had more developments and at a quicker succession, and not even like big developments, but just had things happened in X Men because I still feel like the X Men titles for me personally they go from there'll be an issue I love, two issues I hate, an issue I love, and two issues I hate. And granted, most of that is Space X Men because I just don't like Space X Men. Yeah, which is a, again a holdover from Claremont, and I, and that might be part of it. Where I I think Hickman's got this weird thing that I don't know if I appreciate, where he's very big at honoring the past, but I don't know if he's good at necessarily bringing in, like pushing things into never before seen territory. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a lot to ask for anybody because like oh it's, that's much easier said than done. Because like when I talk about Grant Morris and Frank Quietly, I get that that's one of those things where. One reason that it worked. Lightning in a bottle, yeah. It's lightning in a bottle, but it's also kind of it's what the X Men I was hoping Hickman would be, and I think that's kind of ultimately why I'm having such trouble with it. And I know it's hard to you know it's hard it's never fair to hold what you wanted to what you're getting, but at the same time, it was like Powers and House kind of had that vibe of like we're getting something new and fresh and different, and mm-hmm. I kind of feel like we're we're getting back into really good X Men that feels like classic X Men. Hmm. And I guess I maybe that's just not what I was looking for. Where I was hoping right. for, like, we're going to take X Men into this new century. We're going to add new things. We're going to add a whole new, uh, whole new thing. Because to me, X Men has always been about, like, you know, these misfits representing real things in the world in a comic book. Hmm. And I feel like that part of it has going back to the soap, like the school soap opera of. It's exaggerated. It's crazy. But at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, they're dealing with they're dealing with sex, drugs, hormones, life, and trying to find happiness uh, as a minority. Right. And I feel like we're like Hickman right now. We're really far away from those ideas in X Men. Right. They're there, but now they're like they're not the crux. I think if you lose that, you you risk turning X Men. Into what we've talked about, into like an Avengers or into a thing where it's like they're more concerned about a new threat than they are about a new, you know, a new drug spreading or a new, or oh my god, this character's cheating on this character, which as silly as that sounds, like that's a major part of, even when Claremont, a major part of X Men. Yeah, of course, yeah. And we get one one of the most brilliant things uh, Morrison did with the X Men was uh, hook up Emma Frost and stuff. Right, yeah. Well, and that's what kind of, I think, where I'm wondering at, because, like, Hickman kind of has that stuff, but it's always, like, in the background. Mm-hmm. It's always like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe now Cyclops and Wolverine and Jean Grey and Emma are in this weird, like, maybe they're in, like, a poly relationship now. I think it's pretty implicitly, like, expressed that that but is But why not go, why not make that, like, forward part of the comic? Like, just, like, not in the back, like oh, they're not like oh, they're in a hot tub together. Like, right. Again, it's a comic book. Part of the, the the beauty of a of a soap opera or of a comic book or anything like you can be, you can go head on the nose, just hit it forward of like them, like just straight up there, right? And being open about it, and I, I feel like you risk losing an impactful moment when it's just in the back. Even if it's clearly in the background, it's still in the background. Right. 
Yeah, that's that's an entirely fair critique. I'll, I'll absolutely I give you that. I do want to say again. I don't hate Hickman's X Men run by any means. I still, I mean, by, I mean, sadly by default. But also, even if it was, even if there other was other great books there, I would still say highly recommended. One of the best X Men runs. I mean, in a long time. Yeah. Uh, are you looking forward to Way of X this coming week? I am again. I keep every X book. I give a chance. I still love X Men. I still love. I, that's the problem. I think almost why I'm like disappointed because I do love the world itself. I love Krakoa. I like the idea of it. I just kind of wish it'd go more. And Way of X sounds like it has a lot of potential because I like the idea of. Well, it's also uh, Cy Spurrier, who is yes. really well known for turning comics, especially X Men comics, on their head. Exactly. So that's, why I was, that's why I was asking, like, is this a book that you're like yeah, I'm very, for? I'm very, I'm really hoping Way of X because even though I didn't love Cy Spurrier's uh, Hellblazer, I still. I, I like his sensibility. A lot of people did. Yeah, no, a lot of people loved it. And I don't, and I, I also didn't, it's similar, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it, but also I, I need to go back and finish it because it was also mixed up with so many other books in the whole Sandman universe line that it just kind mm-hmm. of, I feel like it, it got tainted just by everything else being involved because it felt, it kind of like the more Watchmen stuff. It always, even though Gaiman gave his blessing, it does feel weird where it's like, oh, we're continuing these comics just kind of to continue them. Yeah. Um, having said that though, there's a said the second in Charles here. I just found like a huge stash of the original John Ray neighbor, uh, books of magic from like issue two to like 34 complete for anywhere between a dollar and $2. And next time they do a buy five, get five, uh, sale, I'm just going to go in there and buy up as much, uh, late nineties, early two thousands books of magic as I can. Oh, hell yeah. And, and I'm, so, the thing I should mention, again, Hickman, it's Hickman, I do have faith in Hickman, because he's an incredible writer, and I think he could turn it around. I'm just, I, I think that's the other thing, I just wish we'd have, like, some big shoe draw. I think at this point, I wish we'd have one, like, big, big, big thing happen. Mm-hmm. And we, I feel like we always almost get there. Like, Yeah, like, like if, if Orcus were to attack, or... Um, if if the rush if whatever's going on with Russia and X Force would you know, commit to something or yeah you know, some something like that something. If, if somebody dies at the Hellfire Gala uh, yeah hell some you know. hey I I sorry to interrupt but yeah Hellfire yeah. Gala is kind of my make or break point because they're making a big deal out of it and again I can't blame Hickman if it's editorial doing it uh-huh. I don't know uh, but I really hope they yeah something happens and like Charles is another one where. This Charles storyline for me has gone from like I was like House and Powers in the first ten episodes or ten issues I was so into it, mm-hmm. and now I'm just kind of over it. I don't know. It's like now I'm like I'm just accepting. Oh, this is just Charles and yeah. And honestly, I have, I'm on kind of the opposite angle of that. I'm like I'm I'm kind of thrilled that okay, this is who Professor Xavier is now. This is what everyone's been building to since. Fucking ultimate X Men implied yeah. that maybe Charles Xavier wasn't the saint that Claremont always painted him as, and this well, is wish- kind of—I feel like this is the end game of that. I'm like, I'm, I am here for it. I, so I let me clarify: I'm okay with that as a character choice. I just wish we would have seen like we—it was kind of in between pages of like the deciding moment, and we still don't know everything that happened there. Right. And I kind of wish we would have seen it already. I feel I feel like I do have a lot of headcanon plugged into that because I, I, for me it's a lot of plugging in weird little hints and ideas that I doubt even Charles Soule really intended to be played this way when he did his Astonishing X-Men run. Um, 
a couple years back. Yeah, see, I don't know. I've, I've never... I guess I always look at when a new creative takes over. I've always been a big fan of, even if you take parts of history of like keeping it self-contained mm-hmm. and like making it to, and again, I know that a lot, I, a lot of the writers and people I point to are very, 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 very good. And even though Hickman is very, very good, you know, his skill set may not be the same as other people in that regard. Right. And that's fine. I can't expect that. But I think that's like him implementing so many things from X-Men's past like reading like Morrison's uh, Batman or or Snyder's Batman for that matter like when they do pull from the like a deep history I never felt like I was missing out because I didn't read a 20 issue run from a 1980 that's totally fair yeah Morrison did a tremendous job with uh, their Batman work I, I mean, I managed to remember this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anytime they pulled from, you know, the black casebook, anytime they, they made a reference to a story from the 50s, it was pretty explicit. And it was never a case of, oh, too bad you didn't read this 70 year old comic. It was let me recontextualize what you've heard about yeah. these 70 year old comics and give you a context and, and a, a way forward with them. That actually, see, that might be the key difference there where I do feel, because I know, and again, this is no shade, but you have read a lot of X-Men. Yeah. And I think, like, talking like Dan- own, talk about, think about, yeah. Yeah, true. I think, like, me or, like, Daniel, for instance, on Dangerous Humans and a few friends I have, we all have the same issue where we're really liking X-Men, but it does always kind of feel like we're missing out on the party. Mm-hmm. Which feels, like, a little odd for, like, the core X-Men book. Well, so far, the main big plot of the core X-Men book, if you could say that there has been one, has involved the Children of the Vault, which is picking up on a uh, dropped Mike Carey plot point from literally 2004 or 2005. So you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah, you're talking about, you know, what, 15 to 17 year story now. Yeah. Which is, yeah, yeah, see, you said that right there. I had no clue Children of the Vault was before a thing. Yeah, Uncanny X-Men 188 through 200. I'm looking at the graphic novel collection Marvel put out for it uh, right now. Originally, it was titled Supernovas. They retitled it for the trade paperback Marauders because they wanted to – Marvel wanted to be pretty explicit that without being explicit and actually saying anything that this is kind of some necessary reading for the current X-Men run. But then they didn't advertise it at all and didn't say anything about it, and I found it used a second in Charles. Even though I have the single issues, I bought the trade because it's easier to read. Yeah, now that – see, that even just knowing that they existed beforehand does change it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, that's one of those things where it is just odd. Where I'm, but I pre, I do appreciate Hickman trying like doing crap like that because it is something I know of, like diehard fans. It's a very cool thing to see. Oh, trust me, when the Children of the Vault showed up in like issue four, I, I, I had a, <laughs> a, I had a pretty good little nerdgasm. And I that, promise. And again, that makes that makes total sense. It's very, uh, very, very weird that. I, I guess I just wish, you know, there. And I, it goes back to I was spoiled by a lot of the things I have read. Where I, I guess I didn't experience the like memory part of continuity. Mm-hmm. Where I'm such, you know, I'm such a person like I don't give a shit about continuity. It's like if I like it, I like it. If it's there, it's there. And when things honor it, so a lot of times if it's things I reckon, I'm like, oh, that is cool. 
But when it is something I have no awareness of, this is the first time I've ever experienced uh, the notion of, oh, this is clearly meant to feel like a big deal. And I don't know. Like it's funny because we have me and Daniel have a running joke where it's like, ah, oh, yeah, we'll probably have to ask Derek about why this seems like it's important. <laughs> because there's which been... Daniel actually did yeah. on our episode of Dangerous Humans. So it's true. There's like <laughs> there's a lot of especially especially in the X Men right now. Well, and that probably is the key difference because I do like X Factor, Wolverine, X Force, Marauders, Excalibur. No, like they all pull from history. Actually, the, the it's like the only other one that did that was Excalibur, and it was a lot when Hickman was a you know plotting, and then Hickman on New X with New X Men. No, not New X Men. Uh, New Mutants. First six issues, he like co-wrote uh, and interspersed with Ed Brisson, and now I think Vita Alea is actually taking over New Mutants. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a book that uh, man that had a rocky start. I liked it, but I fully admit that it had a rocky start. But it has uh, recently evened out, thankfully. So I'm I really hope Gal is kind of a make or break thing. So I think Gal was already a big make or break. So now knowing spinning out of that, it is like another restart moment. Which and I think if Hickman is doing a, like you said, if it does end up being a book that's more focused, I think I'll probably be in it a lot more. Because at this point, I, I'm curious how this would read in trade. Because we mentioned it's so connected. I wonder how like it will read if it's, you're just reading Hickman's X Men issues, you know, one through twenty in a sitting. I wonder if they'd even put those out as as collections though, because I know they've been putting out the. Uh the DOX trades, which are just the, the issues that came out that month. Yeah, well, they've, um, they've also had know, the, all the issue ones, all the issue twos. Now I know they've done that for like the other titles. I don't know. Have they done it for the X-Men book though? I'm almost positive. Okay. I, I'm actually like, on Amazon right now for yeah, an entirely different reason. So yeah, I'll look it up real quick. Look real quick. Cause I could be wrong. I was looking yesterday and I thought I saw one, but again, it's, uh, they, since they all have, I do no, like, right. okay. uh, X-Men by Jonathan Hickman volume one. Uh, yep. Let me see it. Uh, da, 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 da. Doesn't say how many issues it is. I assume it's like issues one through five or one through six. So. Yeah. So, like, I wonder how that would read, even. Right. Because you are right. Where if you're reading everything, because the first like two months when I was reading almost everything, I didn't have any of these problems. Mm-hmm. And when I've sort of kind of whittled out what I didn't didn't like. Because like, a good example is like Excalibur. Excalibur tied in so heavily to X of Swords. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, Tina, Tina Howard and Jonathan Hickman were basically plotting and story you know, much closer, telling cl- much closer stories than we initially thought because X of Swords is essentially an, ex- an extension of the Excalibur story that was building up to it yeah. uh, with the X-Men guest starring. I still cannot believe Cerebro Sword did not pull it. They have a sword event. And I, I can, still can't get over that that did not, you know, factor in at all. Yeah, I know, man. It's, 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 it's kind of hilarious, almost. It really, it really is. It's very odd. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot going on with X-Men. And I, I am excited because, like, Wave X is coming out this week. And I, it's like, I love X-Men so much that every time a new X-Men book comes out, I do get excited. And I still buy Hickman's X-Men because I still... For every much, for as much as I complain, there are still so many really cool moments that happen mm-hmm. that I do appreciate. Uh, I don't, Aldenf. I don't know if he's 
surpassed, I think it was the uh, Magneto Apocalypse and Xavier going to have a uh, meeting with the other countries. Yeah, that was like issue four or something. Yeah, I don't know if it's like gotten to that point again where I just love that issue. It's a great issue. It's an incredibly strong issue. Um, dude, I hate to do this to you. I have to use the restroom. Oh, no problem. No problem at all. So let's, uh, if, if you don't yeah, mind. We'll pause it up. Yeah. We, can get, we can jump back into this. We can, uh, uh, we can, uh, we can stop the X-Men talk for a minute. I was going to say, we have, uh, man, we spent way more than I, more time than I figured discussing the, uh, the X-Men in its current state. I'm, I'm bummed you haven't read the current Wolverine because it's really starting to pick up the vampire story that you were really liking. Yeah, I'll, I bought it, so I'll definitely pick it up. So we'll get that. We, we'll get to, you know, while we're talking about random stuff, we'll we'll jump to uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and all the news and everything going around with it. For one, new episode came out. Uh, oh, it's fine. It's good. I, these last two episodes, episodes four and five, I have liked a lot, um, and it really um, has made me just kind of like the show overall more, because, man, those first three episodes were, I thought, kind of a chore. I'm going to be totally honest. I thought they were kind of a chore. Yeah, no, I, I, the first episode was okay. The second and third, I'll be honest, I was on my phone half the time. It just it didn't keep my interest at all. Oh, uh, most of, like, almost 90% of the Madripoor episode, I was on my phone. And uh, these episodes have been, again, uh, they've been good. Uh, but to me, way more interesting is all the shit coming out at, uh, around it. One we had, uh, I all oh, been. I was gonna say her name perfect, but it's getting late. Julian, what's her name? Van- Julia Louis Dreyfus. Julia Dreyfus, yes. Uh, doing interviews where I was kind of shocked how open she was. Where you don't normally get that much uh, just uh, openness from someone under a Marvel contract. Yeah, where for anyone who want who doesn't want possible Black Widow spoilers and possible movie spoilers, you can skip ahead a little bit because I don't think it'll take long. So yeah, that's fair. Uh, you skip ahead, but yeah. Uh, so for anyone who <clears throat> you know didn't keep up that Black Widow's release date and this release date has both changed a million times. But uh, it looks like her character was originally supposed to debut in Black Widow, and it was going to be a much bigger deal of her being in this show. Yeah. So now they're saying they don't even know if uh, if she's going to show up in uh, Black Widow at all. They might cut her because they've, they've already made the drop of with her uh, here now, which is which is kind of fascinating to me. It really is. And that kind of ties into another story, which was that originally in the show, there was another giant side story, which involved governments purposely thinning out their population to try to get back to a peaceful state, which is what was going to be one of the main inciting incidents for the Flag Smashers. Right. Which would make a lot, which would make the Flag Smashers make a lot more sense in this show. Right. And would also make Jay Walker a lot more sense on him being like, it would make a lot of his more. It would make him constantly more dastardly and an evil scumbag instead of just a douchebag, which is an important yeah. difference. Because <laughs> uh, I and I do feel like, and also the one thing I didn't love about this episode, th- they didn't kill him off, which is good. They they did kind of bring his emo back, make him interesting, and immediately write him off after that. Yeah, uh, I 
I hope that that's a setup for the future because it, it was a really great confrontation between uh, Zemo and Bucky and then bringing the, the Wakandans into it. I yeah. thought all of that was really well handled, but I really also hope that this doesn't mean we've seen the end of uh, Daniel Bruhl. Uh, same. It, and I feel like this is also the first episode where Bucky and Falcon actually felt interesting. I like their bonding and stuff. Yes, which for sure agreed one hundred percent. This is the first time. I mean, five episodes in, you actually understand these two characters and their relationship with each other. Took them long, goddamn enough. Yeah. But again, it was so good. It almost makes up for the fact that it took two and a half hours to get here. Which. Going back to the thin out population, knowing they had to cut that entirely, uh, I don't know how we. I've heard from a couple of people that uh, are connected enough to know some of the ins and outs of the behind the scenes and work on the project. And from what it sounds like from them, it definitely sounds like there was a lot of stuff cut, possibly shrinking the episode count even down, which would make a shit ton of sense on why it feels so disoriented from a writing standpoint on this show. Yeah. Cause we've talked, I mean, we've talked since, which is crazy to me. Yeah. We we've talked, you know, since day one of this show that just the writing just feels very off for a Marvel show. Yeah. Typically, well, you love Marvel, hate Marvel. The one thing they're good at is consistency. They're consistent as fuck. And this show, it's weird too, because WandaVision, same thing, love it or hate it, it was consistent. This show is like the complete reverse. Yeah, it's, where, it's, it literally feels all over the map. And, if, and to find out that, you know, an entire B story was basically cut and a lot of character interaction was trimmed to the bone, you said something like, the initial plan was for more like a 10 episode series. It sounds and the like fact that we're getting six is goddamn ridiculous. I mean, it makes sense. Cause it sounds like the original thing was going to be closer in episode linked to WandaVision. Right. Which again, thematically would make sense. It seems, I mean, typically you do have like nine, nine to 10 episodes in a, in a smaller season. So it was always kind of weird. This was a six episode, especially now that we're in episode five and, the one complaint I still have is it still kind of feels like, does this need to exist? Right. Because, I mean, it's looking more and more like the end of this series might be kind of ending off in the exact place that we lost our Falcon where he'll be getting the shield, basically. I don't know. I feel like the the big reveal, honestly, that we're going to get next episode is the Falcon cap outfit. But still, I don't think we needed five episodes to get I mean, to the point been, where yeah. Sam Wilson is comfortable wielding the shield. No, yeah, again, I kind of feel like that literally could have been episode one of him. Yeah. I mean, originally... If, if this had been an adaptation of um, Rick Remender and Stuart Eminem's all-new Captain America Hydra, Hydra Ascendant arc with Bucky stepping in for the... Um, uh, adopted son of Steve Rogers, who had the role of Nomad in that story arc, I would have been perfectly fine. I think that would have been a much stronger uh, story than what they've ended up doing. Yeah, I don't really, I I don't really understand why this felt like a story they wanted to tell right now. I mean, and I and sadly, even the next episode's amazing. It doesn't necessarily make again six. It, somehow they made a six episode series. With two solid episodes that felt a hundred percent like filler, mm-hmm. and then right here at the very end, we're kind of, again we're we're kind of racing to the end, and the end is 
being really good. But it is bizarre to go from three kind of, well, one okay episode, two boring episodes, then get to uh, one really good episode, and, and then this episode being just really solid character work, which is what we've been missing for a long like time. Like, they literally tied up all the character points so that we could get to the big slam-bang action finale. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about the reveal that may not have been a reveal because, one, everybody called it, and two, I still don't think they've actually, like, come right out and established it so much as dropped a strong enough hint that people can be like, oh, okay, I guess that's the case. Uh, yeah, we may as well. So, uh, yeah, just it certainly appears that, much like the rest of the internet already surmised, uh, Sharon Carter is, in fact, the power broker. Yeah, which does dispel a few other rumors that have been going around for a while. I still think there's a strong possibility we do get Old Cap to some degree showing up next episode. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, this, Chris, Chris Evans has said something about returning to the role, yeah. and it definitely seems like it's for a Old Man Cap cameo. Which, this does kind of tie into uh, the Doc Ock stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, Alfred Molina being hilarious and yeah. just uh, not giving a fuck in his old age. And, uh, you know, good on him. Thank you, swarthy uh, Eastern European gentleman, yeah. whatever, wherever he's from. Sweet, sweet guy. Uh, straight up just saying, oh, yeah, my Dr. Octopus is in the new Spider-Man movie. Here's how I felt about shooting it. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I know that I was supposed to keep this secret, but everybody on the Internet knows it anyway, so I'm just going to go ahead and talk about it. Champion. Yeah. Legend. Normally I am Mr. No Spoilers, but Melina is just being so hilariously goddamn sweet about it that I can't even get mad. Which, all the headlines, for the first time in my life, didn't make me question what year it was, because every headline was, ah, oh, so, you know, he returns for Doc Ock and Spider-Man 3. That's like, <laughs> okay. Uh, oh my god, I did not see those, but that is the funniest goddamn thing. Yeah, I saw a few of those, I was like, well, hold on a minute. Uh, uh, my my favorite one was him openly talking about the director when he was asking about his character's, you know, death. And, uh, and, like, not really being able to be Doc Ock anymore, essentially, and him being like, oh, it's literally the director saying to him, oh, it's the MCU, death doesn't matter. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, it's funny because that's a comic book thing. We haven't necessarily seen that in time. I guess we have seen that in the movies, but we haven't, like, we've had the, you know, the snap and shit like that, which... We had Red Skull. Yeah, you had Ooh. Red Skulls. So you're getting hints at it, but... Yeah, to me that kind of does solidify that's what's coming down from higher up because you know Feige is watching stuff like that like a hawk, and uh, mm -hmm. if that's what kind of the upper feeling is, like, yeah, and with Robert Downey Jr. and Evans, oh, it's funny like taking a couple years off, like oh yeah, we could probably play him again. Totally, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for me, their 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 death and and aging uh, both felt like not so much retiring from the franchise as they just really needed a break. Yeah, and you know, like like you said, give it a couple years, then uh, just gently knock on Robert Downey Jr.'s door with a dump dump truck full of cash and be like, hey, so uh, we wanted to do an alt reality Tony Stark coming in to you know fix the vision and make him you know like he was before, and we're 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 pretty much done with this uh this white vision oh uh, story I, arc. Do you want to come by? Yeah, sure. Do I, I put on the armor? No? Okay, good. I didn't even think I did. Yeah, we did just also get Vision basically coming back, too. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, and also uh, a Vision that could potentially show up on a Thunderbolts team. 
because yeah. he is now uh, evil, emotionless Vision. Well, is he an evil? See, now this is where I guess this is where you get into he's emotionless Vision rumor talk. Because uh, I, I took it more as like if him getting that. I, I kind of think next time we see him, he will have a lot of emotions, a lot of talk back from just sitting with the memories for a while. Gotcha. That's kind of what my personal takeaway in theory on that was. Still, he would make an excellent addition to uh, the Countess's um, Thunderbolts team that she apparently may be starting to build with a uh, with John Walker, and that's the the big rumor that I re- that I read in that Vanity Fair article that you sent me about. Oh um, yeah. Uh, Louis Dreyfus is that they may be setting her up to be the anti Nick Fury as she has a relationship with Nick Fury in the comics and building her own Avengers. Uh, in the it would have if the timeline had gone correctly, it would have started with Yelena Belova as Black Widow. Now it looks like she's starting with uh, John Walker. If we get Thunderbolts for X Men, I'm going to be kind of pissed. Well, I think it's going to happen, man. Because uh, the X Men aren't going to be till uh, most likely not going to be till phase. They're five. not going to happen. They're just not. If you, if you, uh, I, I feel like at best we're going to get some hint to the uh, or some some way towards setting up the Fantastic Four by the end of Phase Four, and we then have, we'll focus on the X Men for Phase Five. Well, we have a Fantastic Four movie at least theoretically announced. Mm-hmm. We don't have anything X Men announced, and I. I hate to say it, I, at this point in time, I will believe an X-Men movie when I see it. Yeah. I'm kind of, as much as I don't think the MCU will fail, I also think right now there's a 50-50 shot what happens for first. MCU having such a, a big enough bomb where they have to reschedule everything or an X-Men movie happening. Um, I think we'll get a Deadpool 3 before we get an X-Men movie. Yeah, I th- oddly enough, because Ryan Reynolds is under contract. A, B, he's not getting any younger. C, he has a lot more clout and, and support for you know his character and his ideas uh, versus the X Men. I could almost nothing. Sadly, I could almost just see a Deadpool three kind of being what we get for X, which I, I do. I'm excited. I would love another Deadpool. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like the longer we wait. For X Men movie, long way it, it does get kind of sadder every day that passes. Where it's just like, I don't know what will happen in the future. But if anything in the last year has shown us, and uh, like a million things that have happened in the entertainment field in the past decade, there's definitely nothing guaranteed. And for fuck's sake, it's gonna be, it's gonna be the saddest thing in the world if we never get the X Men in the MCU proper. It's going to happen eventually. I just think it's going to be way more down the timeline than anybody is comfortable admitting. We'll see. What this? We'll have to see. Because again, we're still at this weird state. It's like you know, we don't know. The, again, we don't know the future of movies, much less yeah. the MCU. Because that's the other thing is we we've had literally one one decently successful movie now in a year. I'm very curious uh, how Mortal Kombat does. It's getting Honestly. decent reviews. Yeah, I don't know. Mortal Kombat, I legitimately don't know, because it could be... It, it's kind of got the same thing as Godzilla vs. Kong, where exactly. it's, it's got such a dedicated fan base, and it is such a spectacle kind of film that a lot of people, that they're even if they're not a fan of, they know the name. Mm-hmm. And it's been a long time since they've been exposed to it that I don't no, like that. That's why I'm so fucking curious because with with Godzilla versus Kong, I felt like the I, the the 
theatrical uh, numbers on Godzilla versus Kong with with vaccines where they are and, and pandemic numbers where they are, I felt like that had a pretty solid chance of doing good box office as well as good uh, home box office. Yeah. 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 Um, and it did. And my theory panned out. I have no idea if Mortal Kombat is going to be able to continue that trend or if it's going to fall off and just and just get the, the HBO numbers. I was going to say. I am so fucking curious, man. I think it's going to be a success no matter what, because I do think it will at least bring in pretty decent numbers on max. Uh-huh. I have no clue on the like. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. I don't. I don't think the HBO Max numbers are going to be bad at all. But I'm very curious yeah, I, as to what the theatrical numbers are going to be. Mortal Kombat and Black Widow are the two movies that I legit. They will be very telling in a lot of ways. For I mean, for obvious reasons, but also not so obvious reasons because I had just have no clue, no clue whatsoever. They both could do bonkers. Mortal Kombat could flop, and Black Widow could do amazing. I would be shocked. The one thing I will say, caveat, if Mortal Kombat is amazing and Black Widow flops, I would be surprised. But that would be that would be another weird wrinkle in this weird timeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, who know? Again, who knows at this point? Though I Black again, Black Widow. I do not envy the position of Black Widow now at all. Because as much as we were talking about, sadly, WandaVision bringing back so much goodwill, I kind of feel like Falcon Winter Soldier has. Blown a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. You're not wrong. Because it's gone. I mean, not that Twitter is and Instagram are the best way to monitor things, but it is weird how, like, WandaVision, every time a new episode, like the day before, people are just going, oh, man, tomorrow we get new WandaVision. We get new WandaVision. The, 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 water, the water cooler um, numbers for WandaVision were insane. The amount of chatter that show um engendered yeah i haven't seen numbers like that or like people talking like that since game of thrones i mean yeah to be completely to fair uh, honest I, I i mean you could argue there's a big argument for mandalorian okay fair 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 but still that's i mean you're talking about a star wars property and the biggest uh fantasy property since lord of the rings yeah so like is a pretty good company for a the first mcu show to directly come out on Disney Plus, but this one, it like day of people talk about it, but I don't hear shit about it any other day of the week. I don't know. I I may still have Falcon and Winter Soldier muted on my Twitter, but I really feel like um, for what for the amazing reveal that it actually is. And I, I had a definite nerd pop when I saw Julia Louis Dreyfus as as the Countess uh, this episode, but it had. No impact on my Twitter. I saw zero talk about it. Yeah, there was more Isaiah Bradley stuff on my Twitter than there was anything. I was speaking of. Uh, I totally blanked on it. I was so glad they they brought him back for another episode mm-hmm. and just directly just told the the story of uh, Truth, Red, White, and Black as like an anecdote in in the the episode yeah because i was i was really afraid we were only going to get his uh cameo in episode two and just be like yeah that exists we're just keeping the top clock ticking over for young avengers uh just remember eli bradley he'll be coming back later uh but instead to actually have him come back and have him tell his story um that helped that really helped episode four because it, it it gave it gave it more weight than just have than it just being the here's the future character cameo that it kind of felt like it was in episode two. So uh, that was a really great moment in episode four as well. Yeah. And 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. And then Black Widow, like you said, I Black Widow is like to me, it is the it, it's the first one since Ant Man that I just don't. I have no clue. But Ant Man did pretty solid numbers. Ant Man did, but again, it did, Ant Man did good in the normal timeline. Yeah, we no longer have that luxury. That's absolutely fair. We live in the weird. The weirdest of weird timelines. We, we are still in COVID times. Yeah. I mean, as much as we want to not be, um, I'm fully vaccinated. I've had the damn disease. I still wear my mask in public because we are not, we're not there yet. And we're actually on the verge of a fourth wave because too many people are not keep doing the proper precautions to, to get us where we need to be. Yeah. At this point, I don't know. I, I guess we're with us living in Texas. I'm like a fourth wave happens. Sadly, I think it just happens. Like I think yeah. we just lose a lot, a lot more people. Yeah. Uh, not to be, yeah, not we to got be a bummer, stupid bummer. shitty governor and stupid shitty people who listen to him. Uh, yeah, not to be, not to be super bummer, but yeah, there's a. Uh, it's it's odd, but I mean, on, on the getting vaccine vaccination numbers are up, so at least that's. And which is, I will say, surprising, as a born and raised Texan. I was surprised at how well the vaccine numbers are doing in Texas. Yeah, yeah. Positive uh, surprise. We're surprising amount and uh, kind of thrilling. It's uh, it's more than I expected, honestly, of us. Yeah, I don't know what's going to I know, like, a lot, now we're getting back to that point where, like, Mike Kim postponed all their concerts for 2022. We have uh, a lot of a lot of bigger acts are postponing things right now, so... Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, San Diego is strongly reconsidering their Thanksgiving well, Comic Con. The thing with them that they've talked about is they really have to do it, or else they're going bankrupt. Yeah. So if they don't do it, they they have flat out said if they don't do it this year, don't make any money off it, then they there will not be San Diego Comic Con next year. Which is another. Yeah, sadly. but I, I think I think the I think the Thanksgiving plans are what might be considering being changed because a lot of pros got very upset at the idea that they would not be able to spend their yeah. first Thanksgiving two years with their family. I get I mean I get in theory I get what they're going for of like trying to if they theoretically plan it on a busy where or on a weekend where people are traveling to see family, not in on a holiday weekend, it should cut down on people even wanting to go to the event. Yeah. But you are right, like from a professional standpoint, it does make it much more difficult to be there because it is the same thing. They want to be with their family and friends, and especially knowing last year a lot of people didn't get to do that, and it's maybe the first year we, you know, in the first year in, a, in several years for some people, they actually even get a chance to do that. So I, I definitely get it. I don't know. I don't know what it would be. And it also, it's one of the announcements where their entire PR team all around should have re reassessed a lot of things that mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like one probably should have waited to make that announcement to begin with. I think this waiting would have also changed a lot of the visuals because it's still not a good time to announce things right now. Yeah. Uh, we just don't, again, I don't know. I don't know if cons will happen this year or not. Yeah. Supposedly, Dallas is still happening in September. That's uh, Derek and I are hanging our hat on that. But again, we will see. Oh, remind me, I have some uh, potentially exciting news to oh, announce yeah. at the end of the show. Uh, but to go to some bummer, so get all away from bummer news. Yeah, uh, please. To do, uh, <laughs> exciting news. Uh, it was cool because I know I, I sent it to you. 
Scott Snyder and a few creators were tweeting about uh, kind of the rise that they are currently seeing in not only comic sales, but their own personal kind of worth in the comic sphere. Their, their comics selling, the excitement from their comics growing, and the uh, level of interest in comics all around kind of reaching heights it hasn't seen in quite a while. Right. And it was really yeah. refreshing because, I don't know if you saw it, in the comments to Scott Snyder tweeting that were a lot of other creators like Zach Thompson, Lolly Nadler, and a few others like go like, yeah, I've seen my, I've had more growth in the past year comics-wise and sales-wise than I had in the previous six yeah. No, I did see that. And I, I feel like it kind of goes back to something you and I have been talking about. Comics are healthy. Yeah. The way comics are being sought out or, uh, you know, the stores that sell them are definitely seeing some some trying times and some issues. Distribution is in a very interesting place right now. Yeah. But it really depends on how broadly you view the term comics. And comics are extremely healthy. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about that for a while. We are we are thrilled. Yeah. And, and, and very, very happy. Uh, I, I, I'm really happy to have to hear that confirmed by actual creators. Yeah. Because that's how, that is honestly how it's felt on the ground and how it feels looking at the numbers. But to have actual creators come out and be like, yeah, those numbers are fairly accurate. I'm doing really well. I feel like Snyder's honestly probably riding the buzz of Noctera selling so fucking well. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, but then, again, there's, a, there's a lot. There's Noctera. You also have Department of Truth. Issue one just went back to like a fifth printing. Oh, wow. Uh, like, Image right now has had, like, four or five books having to go back to, like, second, third, and fourth printings. Uh, a lot, like, Infinite Frontiers had a lot of stuff having to go back to print. And their their sales, all that, has been very well. Uh, Who's Department of Truth? Why am I blanking on you? Uh, that's uh, James Tynan's uh, creator-owned book yes. uh, at Image. And uh, very, very good. There's uh, it, got, it got some really good buzz, yeah. Oh, yeah, I... I fucking, I love it. Oh man, I, I know you said let's not be negative. Um, I just want to throw out there, uh, having uh, DC Infinite Universe or Universe Infinite or whatever the fuck it is. Yes. Um, I, I did. I have read Tynan's entire Joker War story arc. I have read through issue one hundred as of this week. Oh. And um, dude, it's not good. I know. I, I know. We keep talking about how terrible James Tynan's uh, Batman run is, but now that I now that I have read the entirety of Joker War. It is um, derivative. It is not fun. It feels like knockoff Zack Snyder. And I am, as as a as a fan of like literally every other thing I've read from Tynan, except this, I am tremendously disappointed in in the quality of storytelling in this comic. I, yeah, I, I haven't. Again, I haven't read. I read an issue here or there of it when it's coming out. I like gave a few a try, and it's it, it is odd because. Like you said, everything else, and you know, not everything has to be for us. I understand that. I know Joke War has its fans, and that's awesome. If you enjoy that, enjoy that. But I, it is weird how everything Tynion has put out, I have honestly either either really enjoyed or flat out loved and adored. Yeah, liked or loved is a, is a good way to put Tynion's entire body of work, with the exception of his biggest. And arguably, arguably, most far-reaching comic work, which is weird because it is. I mean, fancy him. It sold like hotcakes. And yeah, yeah. It's doing really well. So you know, don't listen to us, to be honest. But seriously, yeah, yeah. It's like 
Yeah, I, I didn't dig. I, well, see, I take it back. I dug the Clown Hunter stuff. I like a lot of Clown Hunter things. It, again, felt derivative to me. Oh, see, I love I love the Clown Hunter character. That's the one thing from Titans when I do read. He dresses like. like you. That's that's why. That's fair, but <laughs> I just I really like that character, and I, his uh the Stoke uh one shot was really good. I. I'm waiting for that to hit. I'm I am curious about that. Yeah, it was. I really like that. It was really really good. Uh, yeah, there's a, but yeah, it, it is odd. But going back time to the good stuff, it is it is weird because I feel like we get a lot of negative reports and we get these things from people from speculators and people that are really tied to not necessarily the art of comics or the pushing forward of comics, but more so to the just to the commerce commerce and collectability of comics. Right. Or, and, again, um, I, I often find myself tweeting or uh, quoting Graham McMillan, especially to you and, yeah. and on this podcast. And he is, because, because of his job, mostly, uh, he is very concerned with distribution and yeah. what that means to the industry. So I, I, I do get some, some occasionally very dour predictions from him based on his knowledge and experience with distribution. Him and Jeff Lester both, because Jeff used to work at Comics Experience. Yeah. And um, again, uh, oh God, I'm blanking on his name. I keep wanting to say Harry Reid, and that's so completely not the case. Um, the guy that runs Comics Experience is Brian Hibbs. Um, you know, one of one of the big direct market like voices, um, so Lester comes with a lot of knowledge from Hibbs, yeah. and then Graham chimes in with his insider distribution knowledge uh, with his contacts, and it can it can often paint a very dour picture of a certain subsect of again one part of the comics. Forgive the pun. Experience. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I get where they're coming from. I think they're just—I think it's almost that situation where they've been in it for too long and are too close to distribution in general to like really have a full vision of it. Because again, like his stuff last year when DC announced that they were separating was like, according to him, we basically shouldn't be having physical DC books right now. He wasn't the only person preaching that, and if I remember correctly, you too were also like, "I wouldn't be surprised if DC goes completely digital." Uh, no, I, well, I still think that the, I still think di- going digital is definitely well. I mean, we definitely see the the rise of D- of DC focus on digital, and I was, I yeah, I think my I was saying because he had that big story come out, we were talking about it. And I think yeah, I think my big thing was like I think ultimately like i think i could see them pushing full digital but i don't like, i think at the time i even said that i don't i don't think that's happening i think it's a five-year ten-year plan i don't think that's in the immediate future but i was saying that no matter what I, I was saying because he he their big prediction was like there's gonna fold it all and i was like no i think no matter what they keep putting comics out at least digitally to keep the ips going it's cheaper or anything else uh but yeah, and I, again, it's that kind of stuff where I think they just, I think they look at the current trend, but they're not, for lack of a better term, comics is filled with bad businessmen talking about how businesses should be run. <laughs> and, You're not wrong. And I don't mean that insulting, but it's just like, let's talk, let's just be honest. Comic, like, superheroes are a multi billion dollar industry where its roots make. Pennies. Mm-hmm. 
where and there's no reason for it. Like the roots should be making a lot more, and all accounts are making a lot more. It's just it is an odd thing to see that. To me, it was weird to see that kind of disparity between people in the industry very happy and excited, a lot of fans very happy and excited, but then on the distribution level, people not happy. And I, you know, not to be an asshole, but I'm like, man, if your creators are happy and your fans are happy and your distributors are pissed, you're probably doing something decent because <laughs> let's be honest, if the distributors are happy, but creators and fans are pissed, then you have a real problem. And the fact that fans and, and creators are happy, critics are happy. And it's said, you know, tall, again, all accounts sell, they're doing really well. And I mean, we're, we're seeing a, re, a rise in image again. We're seeing DC do a lot of really interesting things and sellers are starting to really pile up. They have, they have some possible heavy hitters coming out soon. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of stuff. I, Marvel's still selling well and they're making big moves. Although Marvel's making money, uh, regardless of what you can say about the, anything else they're doing, yeah. they're still making money with their comics. So. And they also, the bigger question, well, we actually haven't talked about this is I don't know how diamond survives. Yeah. Oh yeah. We haven't talked about that. That's uh, Oh shit. Cause that, yeah, that happened kind of during our, our time off and we didn't really address it on dangerous humans. Um, so Marvel is leaving diamond. They're going to penguin, uh, publishing for their single issue distribution. Oddly enough, not their uh, graphic novel distribution. Oddly enough, Diamond can still sell Marvel comics wholesale through their webs through their service, but single day to day issues will now be shipping through Ping through a uh, yeah, Penguin Publishing, meaning that Diamond is just has just lost roughly sixty seven percent of their business. After losing, what was it, 30% last 30 year? 30% of their business with DC. And also, we come to find out a few days later that IDW has been working from expired contracts with Diamond. Basically, I guess as a uh, don't fuck with me, don't I won't fuck with you situation, which means IDW could presumably pull out at any time they want because they do not have current distribution contracts with Diamond. And Diamond has already said that they are not renegotiating contracts with anyone. So if Dark Horse or Boom or whoever, Ahoy or you know Vault or any of these little guys wanted to renegotiate terms in light of uh, Diamond's misfortune, Diamond has already put the kibosh on that. That's like a short-term uh, solution that's, can, that's really going to fuck them over. Oh, it's going to murder them. Yeah, <laughs> it is straight like, up. Yeah, Diamond, I I do not, like you just said, I don't see how Diamond survives this. I don't think it can. The monopoly's been broken. And what's really, really interesting, to me at least, is that the of, of the two uh, distributors that DC went with when they left Diamond, one of them is already backed out. And the other one does not have an exclusive contract with DC, which means... Yeah. Penguin could and arguably should be courting DC to become their distributor as well. If that happens, we've basically traded one monopoly for another. But at least the second monopoly has already said that they are they are actively working to be better about their distribution setup than they were previously. And arguably, anything is better than Diamond. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I feel like a lot of people, a lot of these negative articles we just talked about kind of spun out of this. And it was more so... Comics people, everyone fears change. Comics fans and distributors and people like 
fear change more than any other fandom I've ever seen. Yeah. And I understand it. I understand where it comes from. But again, even though everyone has agreed for a long time that Diamond is pretty fucking horrible at the one job they have, mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing of they'd rather have a, a, the certainty of Diamond than the uncertainty of that open door and not knowing what's beyond it. Right. It kind of reminds me, I'm going to tell a, a, a bad uh, anecdote okay. here for just a second. My mother-in-law uh, has worked in medicine for years. Um, my father-in-law was a doctor when he was alive before he had a stroke. She's been in, in medical um just in the medical industry for years. She will tell you for hours. She will sit you down and talk to you just in, in exquisite detail how broken the medical system in America is. But if you bring up anything like socialized medicine or any, 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 any of the myriad ideas to reform uh, medicine in this country, she balks and starts arguing against it. Yeah, no, it's, 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 same it's, the same, it's the same mentality. It's it's exactly you're exactly right. It's the devil you know, despite it being a fucking devil. Yeah, exactly. Where, like you said, uh, we there's also now a chance for new distributors to actually pop up that could actually maybe do something, could compete something. The fact, I mean, right now, if any new distributors wanted to pop up, the fact that you know Marvel's not technically on exclusive contract, DC not technically on exclusive contract. This is a fucking time where if you wanted, if this was your thing that you wanted to distribute shit, go for it because this is the one time you could actually get a contract on the big ones. Not to mention there, there have been a lot, a lot of smaller companies also drop out of Diamond. Uh, there were uh, uh, like a litany of just little ones that have dropped out. Which so I don't know. Like again, out of the market right now, Diamond legitimately went from a hundred percent to. Probably somewhere between seven and nine percent of the shares in total. Yeah, mm-hmm. literally in a year. It, it is. It is. Um, both of its legs have been crippled yeah. because again, Marvel supported more than fifty percent of that company all by itself, uh, and that that's not hyperbole. That's just that. That's fact. That's yeah. actual knowledge. And again, you and, statistically. I mean, like we've talked about it. Had. With both Marvel and DC leaving, leaving, it's I mean there is, and, and we've talked we've talked off mic, and uh, I don't know how founded the rumors are, but there's been rumors going around for quite a while of Netflix trying to acquire Dark Horse Wholesale, which again would be a, like they have so much money that, and especially right now where Diamonds at, mm-hmm. I could a hundred percent see that. Just being that contract is being bought out. It, it it makes so much goddamn sense from the money that uh, that Netflix has made just off Umbrella Academy alone. Um, <laughs> it makes so much sense that uh, having basically an in-house creator studio uh, to go alongside the Malarverse yep. deal that they have um, really feels like it, it, it's a match made in heaven. Almost, it it, it makes so much sense. Not to mention, Malar World is still published through Image a lot. There's mm-hmm. theoretically, if they were to own Dark Horse, it could even, so, you know, shift. yeah, it could shift yeah. that too. So I don't. Which also, we got to talk. There's been a lot of trailers. We'll talk about it for a second. Uh, I still haven't watched the Jupiter Ascending trailer, or Jupiter's Legacy, or yeah. whatever it is. I uh, that was the trailer I forgot I needed to watch for this. Oh, I'm so there's sorry. That. There's also the new Fast and Furious trailer. 
Yes, we have to talk about that. Uh, so yeah, no, it's a lot of big changes in comics, but like you mentioned, if if they if people can do a I say if they can do a better job, it would be hard for them to do a worse job than Diamond. Right. For any, That's the thing. Yeah, for anyone who has not worked in a comic shop, uh, well, for anyone who's never had to receive comics at a comic shop or bag and board, <laughs> you don't know the headaches that Diamond caused. For those of you we've mentioned before, Derek and I worked at a store that sold uh, comics. Technically, it was the largest comics, comic book shop in, in like a 100-mile radius when we were working there. Yeah. Uh, and the amount of times I was like, oh, you know, we're supposed to get a, we're, they're supposed to come here Tuesday morning. And then it's like Tuesday at four o'clock. They're supposed to be here. They don't show up on Wednesday at 7am. They show up finally. And we're bagging in, you know, we're, we're tagging books. We're trying to get them out there. Oh, we open a box. Like, Oh, well, where's our Batman? I don't know. They sent two Batman. What's in this box? Uh, it is, you know, it's 40 copies of the max. Why? We didn't order that. Don't know. Where's our books? They don't know. Yeah. Like, that was a, I would argue, mu- at least once every two months occurrence, something like that. Yeah, and then trying desperately to stay on top of uh, people's pulls. Um, but, of course, the way we did it and the way we were supposed to do it through the company was uh, if you got yourself on a pull list, you start getting your books in two months because that's how the diamond system worked. You had to order two months in advance, and we couldn't guarantee you the books you were wanting until the uh, two months. If you canceled a poll, you had you still got your books for two months until the the contract ran out. It's fucking it's a fucking ridiculous system. And good lord, I like you said at this point, literally almost anything would would be a better system. I mean, especially knowing again, we're not talking like that's the crazy thing about how much of a crippling hold Diamond had on everything. We're not talking about the people who create the comics, who make the comics, who. You're talking about literally the middlest of middlemen. Mm-hmm. You're like, take it from one place to another. You get it there. A job that similar avenues of material have distribution systems that, for the most part, work pretty well. Like to like Ping One to compare, even though Ping One has had problems. If there was a big book coming out at that same story, worked at we pretty much always at least had that book on time. Yeah. At the bare minimum, we got it when they said it was going to get there. Right. Uh, sometimes sometimes our buyers would underorder, but we would get the yeah, book. Exactly. Like We'd get it. There are countless, countless, countless times, like I said, of just either the book's just not showing up for no reason, and it wasn't like, oh, well, they got lost in USPS, or oh, it was USPS. No, it was almost always, oh, Diamond didn't ship it. Yeah. Oh, it's on a, a diamond freight train. They just forgot to ship like a thousand orders. Like why? Don't know. Texas didn't. Get, there were times where it's just like, oh, all of this half of Texas, all of half of Texas, just didn't get books this week. Yeah. Why? No clue. Because Diamond did not ship them correctly. Because we did not have a. Uh, for a long time, it was because we didn't have a proper UPS outlet, but that changed, and then it just became uh, diamond fucked up. Yeah, it, it happened. It, it hasn't happened in a bit, but there was a while there where my LCS every week there was just like, "Here's the list of damaged comics from Diamond. We've got replacements coming." Yeah, well, like it was a weekly list that they would email you. 
Yeah, and that's one of those things where, yeah, comics aren't the easiest thing in the world to ship. They're also not the hardest. Right? Like, they're not, how to put it, uh, when stores get vinyl records, there might be one or two damage, but I don't think people, again, people haven't worked, they don't realize the, the, the horror of opening a box of comics just to find that how they were packed caused 80 issues of Action Comics to just be bent in half. Yep. And, like, bent to a point where, like, yeah, you not only can you not sell them, it'd be hard to give them away. Exactly. And that shit's bought at a non-returnable rate, so you're stuck with them, uh, even if they replace them at a discount, you're still stuck with that unsellable product. So, uh, yeah, fuck you. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't have much sympathy for them going out. I am curious, like, last year when this store was gone, the amount of stores that were in major debt to Diamond... No clue how that's going to affect them. Cause it, cause yeah, yeah, that's 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 why that's my one big concern. And when when I was telling, I texted you some numbers about how the number of distributors and possibly the number of comic stores that were going to go under due to Diamond failing. That I think is the reason why is that Diamond owes so many people so much money that um, that is now most likely not going to get repaid at all in yeah. any way, shape, or form. That is what's going to end up fucking a bunch of these companies over. It is, and I, it goes back to the uh, bad business people doing bad business with worse, like worse business companies. It's like it's all around horrible. So the whole thing is like, yeah, if you get into business, it was, you know, you, you business comes first. You can't. It's crazy to me the amount of people that were taking IOUs from Diamond. Yeah. I get they were, like, the only game in town, but it is just bonkers that that was acceptable to... I mean, we're talking about some shops that have talked about millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. It's like, how how did it get to that point? Uh, Yeah, so that had happened. Uh, To get into... To kind of shift it up really quick, we'll talk about some movies. We'll, We'll try not to be on for too, too much longer. We'll talk a little bit of movies, a little bit of comics. We knew this was going to be a long episode. That's true. That's true. Uh, so did you you did see the Fast not, uh, Fate of the Furious or whatever it is? Uh, I think it's like it's like fast. It's like Fast, fast nine, nine, the Furious Saga. Furious Saga, like yeah. The Furious because Fate Fate was eight. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. If they don't open up the next trailer with um, uh, what's his rapper saying? So we're time traveling now, huh? And then like. It's it's a shot of of them like competing in a chariot race or something. They they have failed this franchise because they they did space. They 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 are putting our characters magnets. How the fuck do they work in space? A lot of magnets. Um, magnets are a key role in this movie, apparently. Yeah, and John Cena matching um, uh, Vin Diesel's uh, energy question mark um, his his charisma. I guess I don't know. I'm I'm excited. It's a great trailer. It's bonkers as hell. Yeah. I love it. I, I seriously love so much that Vin Diesel got really pissed off at the other wrestler they had in the show, so they just like literally hired another wrestler. Yeah. So, all of this one, we are getting to that point where like it really is like just pushing out. Okay, how far can we push where Fast and Furious started to where it is now? Where it's like okay, so now I normally don't care about this shit, but this was the first one where like, okay, so now. Dom has had a secret hidden brother that is a super highly trained assassin or military man or something. That again, it's like truly, we've never heard even a slip up or mention at all of. 
And in this in this franchise that is dedicated to family. Yeah, exactly. In a franchise, a hundred, not a single mention like, you know, or my brother. Oh, don't talk about him. Like, yep. Also, speaking of franchises where death apparently doesn't matter, I mean, yeah. justice for Han and all, but still, the, the, just just straight bringing him back. Okay. They also, I I, I guess on one hand maybe it makes. It's one way of making Jason Statham's inclusion into the group, I guess, mm-hmm. easier. Because it's like, oh, my I bad. I think that's what they're trying for, yeah. Is, is, but by making Jason Statham a member of the team, they had to erase his most heinous crime. Yeah. Which I don't know how I feel about, because it does also lessen, like, my favorite Fast Furious movie. It does kind of lessen a little bit of it. Or it's like, well, now all that shit started for not nothing, because they also try to blow Vin up, but it did kind of take away the one big tit-for-tat moment he had of, you killed my brother, I killed Han. Yeah. Uh, which also, I think, because I, I do believe Jason Statham's the who play, uh, the character's mom, I think, was in the trailer, it looked like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Helen Mirren, yeah. Yeah, which... But also, if I remember, I don't believe Jason Statham's in the movie at all. No, both Jason Statham and The Rock are Hobbs and Shaw are supposed to be their own franchise now. I don't know if Hobbs and Shaw did well enough to actually merit a second film, but they are supposed to have spun off into their own buddy cop franchise. I'm looking up really quick. See, I don't remember Hobbs and Shaw was one of the ones that we heard a lot of things when it's coming out. It did good, but I don't think it. I don't think it did the the crazy buku numbers they were hoping. And they did 760 million. It's not bad. That's uh, but it's, it's less than BVS, and BVS is considered a uh, uh, underperformer. So, well, yeah, but it's considered underperformer for very, very different reasons. It was considered underperformer because it was like it's gonna make at least a billion. Yeah, and then again, going back to then they then WB just started fucking shooting money wads that were to produce every other film, and then it didn't make a billion. Like ah, fuck it. But it, it, that being said, it still also got two sequels. Yeah. Well, well, I guess it did technically get two sequels. It's just two sequels of the same movie. Right. Exactly. But whatever, it got it got more. Uh, so I would imagine Hobbs and Shaw, and there's just so much star power there where it still ended up making quite a bit of money and still connected to the Fast Furious. I would highly doubt they would uh, let that go though. With Rock's busy schedule, I, who knows how long. Like how many? I don't. Again, I have no clue how that move that man does what he does. It's true. It will be sad. It's gonna be sad having a movie without Rock in it at all in the Fast franchise now. Yeah, because man, that's a that his his appearance in Five is what put this franchise on the road that it's on. As much as I'm sure, as much as Vin Diesel wants to claim that it's just it's burning off his pure charisma, that franchise was nothing. I mean, it was it was it was something, but it is nothing like it is today. Before oh, no, the rock five, came on, five, six, and seven are by far that's what that's what made it. Like, yeah, they're, like those are the three. Nothing that's you know nothing that's come after, or in my opinion, before have come close to those three. Like that, I, I actually really like Fate of the Furious. I really do. I don't hate it. It feels. I I, I don't hate it. I like it's fun. I I've, I haven't I've seen it the least out of all the newer out of five, six, seven, eight. Uh, so I can't say I can't say a ton about it because I think I've only seen it like twice. Uh, but I whereas like seven, seven's uh, seven is up there with 
I don't know. It's up there in my favorite action movies, period. I fucking love Seven. That, oh, that's so good. That that intro alone, that that might be, that might be my favorite action movie intro of all time. I'll have to rewatch it because I don't remember it at all. Uh, Jason Satham at the hospital. Oh, that's right. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I love that scene so much. No, so good. Uh, yeah, no, I'm... Uh, I Again, Fast Furious, I think a lot of people... That's a lot of people know. Just dumb, fun action. I Now, it is bizarre to me that there's so many franchises they could cross over with, and there's all this talk of them crossing over with Jurassic Park now. What? Oh, yeah, that that's been a, a very real thing of them, of Vin Diesel and people openly, publicly talking about the possibility of crossing over with Jurassic Park. Oh, man... I don't know how I feel about that because I, I, I like the idea of something crazy bonkers and like introducing dinosaurs into the, the fast cast. Yeah, sure. But actually tagging a Jurassic with the Jurassic park. I don't know. Does the Jurassic park brand is so tainted at this point? Sure. Why not? Yeah. I mean, Jurassic park, it's up there with, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think of another brand that's been that. The, the, fir- the first one's a classic and literally everything else that's come after it is varying degrees of meh to awful. Yeah, I, I can't even. I, I can't even think of another franchise that's kind of had this. There, there are definitely some I'm not thinking of right now that have similar arcs where it's just great classic movie and everything else is just shite. But I can't. I think it's art. I think I, you're going to disagree with me. But um, as much as I like certain elements in the franchise, I think you could fit Halloween. Into oh, that. you shut your mouth right now. <laughs> I, I, I would. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly disagree with that. I would say I'm the slasher. I mean, I'm not by no means is it great, but it's of all the slasher movies, I, I would honestly probably put it up there above most others as far as consistency and, and quality. But the first one is so much better than all the other films. I mean, yeah. I, honestly, I, I get hate for this. I think if we take away what the first one did, just like on a film basis, I, I would also put one and four pretty close just in quality of film i love four and i can't i i have to disagree with you man i'm yeah, sorry I, lo- I, I love that i I'll, but also i mean i guess you could put friday four's great I, four's I, fantastic four is easily the best sequel halloween still has stands head and children but i like it uh i don't think it's age the best i mean i i do like it a lot but it definitely doesn't quite hold up the more modern horror taste for a lot of people. And I, even though I disagree, I, I have to kind of, kind of say that because I don't think it's quite the same golden goose it once was, but I still, I still dig it. I still like it quite a lot. Uh, but I, anyway, yeah, we're talking about the dip in quality. I don't, I don't think it dips that far. I mean, I would, cause I would say, especially cause one, I, one's great. Two is uh, and again, it's just more it's like one B side of one, and then three's got a crazy weird critical evaluation where people, some people now, three's their favorite in the franchise. Yeah, and man, I just I'm I, I cannot get on board with that. I, I went in to, to watch it really excited, like okay, I cannot wait to see what people are are finding in this film, and. Um, no, I was I was by turns bored and revulsed. God, and, uh, but in fairness, I'll say I think that works for almost every horror 
almost every horror franchise, I would say the first is like always uh, typically head and shoulders above most of the rest. With maybe the exception of Friday Thirteenth, where the first kind of, I'll be honest, nowadays the first kind of sucks to be honest. It's got an interesting twist, but uh, yeah, th- that's one of the few cases where the first sequel is just a, a superior film in every way. Uh, Friday the 13th Part 2 is just such a, a strong, well-done, well-made film by an actual filmmaker. I see. It's weird because I don't ever watch. I don't. I don't really. Second one is probably my least first and second Friday the 13th. It's probably my least watched Friday the 13th films. It's. The, uh, I just don't. I, I guess I, I don't like Baghead Jason. Yeah, Baghead Jason. I'm not a big fan of. And I uh, I don't hate it, but I don't. It's not on my rewatch list much. Normally, when I watch Friday Thirteenth, it's it's uh, it's pretty low on there. Not so what's as, your what what's your big rewatch? What's your what's your number one rewatch? Oh, it's uh, it's Jason Lives. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I love the I love the where. I, I really appreciate Jason when it starts going to like kind of just like okay we know what we are we're gonna get a little shocky we're gonna get bre- we're gonna break the fourth wall but we're not we're not gonna go as far as as Jason and also I think it, it breaks the wall in very clever ways because it all breaks it like in camera tricks and not so much in characters for the most part. Right. Well, you know my favorite, so I, I have no leg to stand on in this argument. Yeah, you. I don't. Know, you love Jason X. It's so dumb. I love it so much. Yeah. It is a comedy. It is straight up a comedy. That's fair. Uh, yeah, but I'm trying to think of a non-horror movie that like falls that much because like Jurassic Park, you know, has horror elements. It's no, it is absolutely a classic adventure film. It is it is a quintessential Spielberg film in that it features kids in peril, but they're never in danger. And yeah. there's a difference between peril and danger. Um, it's a classic high stakes adventure film with a, with a, a few bloodless deaths to, to raise the stakes. Um, yeah, uh, maybe Indiana Jones. No, I don't want to say because I think people hold those two too close to each other the first three yeah and i i love the indiana jones series i love every film in that series yeah but i put i put raiders above the others significantly i mean i guess i guess, like Halloween. I guess how people kind of would jump to i mean i don't know yeah I, I know people probably screaming there's probably one that we're obviously missing yeah i did i i got a new one i watched return to oz yesterday isn't it great? In the end, it needs a bit. I do kind of love the baldiness of they're like, it is a sequel to the first movie, but we're going to pretend the first movie was way closer to the books. Yeah. Even though it's like <laughs> yeah. an all-time classic, because watching it, just a little bit, it was, it is kind of, uh, how do you put it, shocking when the first time you see Scarecrow and Tin Man in it, you're like, hold on a minute now. Yeah. <laughs> Something's changed here. I guess you could argue maybe it goes into with the theoretically lunacy of uh, Dorothy going crazy. Right. Maybe and then, like, you no. know, the electroshock therapy that uh, she has suffered. Yeah. Uh, I also do love that book, which is like, hey, those characters, the Tin Man and Lion, and they're in it, and Toto's in it, but they ain't going to be the fucking stars. Nope, we got all these brand new characters, and then the uh, the queen with all the different heads. Oh, that is a great visual idea. It is. It's great. I'm telling you, man, that movie's a baller. Yeah, I uh, love Return to Oz. It's bonkers. It really is. Although my weirdest be- uh, bone to pick the cover. For some reason, 
every cover I found has Tin Man on it. And he's, again, very, very, very briefly in the movie. But it's like the every cover I see is them like riding the weird uh, couch moose thing. Right. And it's got uh, Jack Pumpkinhead, TikTok, and the the chicken and like a golden brown tin man. Oh, I guess I just don't remember the cover at all. All I remember from the cover is that Fruz the Bulk is making the weirdest face and it's like it feels like weirdly painted. Yeah, it's it's a weird, it's an odd one. But uh, yeah, watch that. That's one of the rare times that Disney Plus had a movie I was looking for. That's hilarious. Yeah, I've been watching a bunch of random stuff because I got Peacock, and Peacock is, it's, I mean, it's, it's got a bunch of random shit on it. Yeah, I have been watching more Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., and I'm still pretty enthralled, I'm not going to lie. I'm about halfway through season four. I love what they did with Robbie Reyes' as Ghost Rider. I love it. Yeah, I, it was well, I, really impressive. I remember watching a little bit of it. I See, for me, you know how I was CG. I couldn't get past some of the CG elements in it, but... I thought the, I like I, that's what I'm saying. I thought the CG for Robbie Reyes' as Ghost Rider was actually really good most of the time. Right. There's a couple of shots where his neck looks super weird. But I felt like the, they handled the, the actual CG of the character really pretty strongly. I remember not necessarily agreeing, but that that was, well, I guess, like five years ago now? Four yeah, years ago? Yeah, it's been a bit. That was a show that was so weird, where like it came, and like it was such a big deal for a minute, and then it just kind of disappeared into the night. Kind of like Colson but, himself. But kept going, because it, it actually stayed on the air until 2020. I, had no, I really thought it ended with season four, because everyone stopped talking about it after Ghost Rider. That's true. Yeah, I don't remember anything. I, all I remember is hearing about Ghost Rider and humans. Mm-hmm. And nothing else. Uh, what? Oh, I, well, I did, I, we talked a little bit. I watched Nobody. It was really good. It's a really fun, violent, little action film. I am so excited to see it. I'm probably not going to be able to see it until it comes on um, one of the streaming services, or I might be able to rent it. But I am super, super looking forward to, to checking it out. Okay, it's, a, it's a, just really... Again, it's, it's John Wick with a different John. <laughs> uh, Bob Odenkirk is great in it. He really sells an action uh, an action hero in the uh, action hero esque, I guess, but really sells it well. And uh, yeah, it's definitely if you're if you are a fan of John Wick and Hardcore and Henry, it's, uh, it's basically a combo of those two teams, and it's exactly what you would think a combo of those two movies would be. That's what I've heard, and I'm I'm super thrilled to check it out. Yeah, it's great. And very very helpful. Uh, yeah, I've watched a bunch of random stuff, but let's get to talk some comics because it's been a while. It has Where been. You um, start. Uh, it's been. A, let's start with one I know we both read. Okay. Because you said you want to save it for the podcast. Uh, Noctera Two came out. Man, I wish I'd reread it because it's been a while, and uh, I need. I do. Uh, I did want to talk about it when I said that, and I've pretty much forgotten everything about it, other than it's really good. It yeah. remains really good. Yeah, I really, really, I like. I think I like this issue two even more than one. It's just this, the world that is created in the series. Again, it goes down that route of Snyder just being able to be the horror writer Snyder, and it just gets darker and darker. Mm-hmm. I'm 
very curious what he's going to do because he's already uh, he's doing a lot with uh, Blacktop Bill already. Yeah. The who seems to be set up to be the primary antagonist of the series, but has already caught up with the caravan and made some threats. And I mean, how long is he expecting the series to run? Because I feel like he's dropping a whole lot of, of story knowledge and plot knowledge very early on in two issues. It is, but knowing how he normally writes, it. I mean, he's he's done so much world building where I feel like this world could have a lot of interesting things around it beyond just him. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I mean, we've got we're, we've learned a lot more about what's going on, and his interest in the first issue gives you a shit ton of hope, and almost thematically, kind of like what the main character keeps talking about. The second issue kind of rips away all hope that he had of mm-hmm. the world going back to normal. And it uh, happens fast, but also I think it adds another element of the world to where you're not now. Now it's like you're not really thinking about will the world get better. You're more so thinking about, oh, well, how will they survive? Right. And I think almost like Walking Dead, I bet that they could kind of grow the cast and just introduce new villains every few arcs, basically. That's fair. Yeah, I could I could definitely see it taking the uh, the Walking Dead route, and I'd be I'd be okay with that. This is definitely a series where I am already very invested in what these two creators are are saying and and what they want to continue to say and where they want to continue to go. So, um, yeah, it's it's really thrilling to be so invested in an image book again. Uh, another one that I. Really, uh, of course, really like we had Wonder Woman 771 came out, continuing uh, Michael Conrad and Becky Cloonan's story, and it uh, continues to be freaking awesome. They uh, dealing more and more with kind of Wonder Woman somehow being in Valhalla and kind of dealing with that she's kind of a, a misplaced god. Mm-hmm. And it, trying to figure out what's going on with the Valkyries and trying to figure out why people that die in Valhalla are staying dead. And you also have this mysterious force in the background that keeps slowly popping up, telling her that she, you know, just is not where she belongs. And kind of figuring out where that's going. And uh, I'm fucking loving it to death. It's a mo- it is I, it's definitely the most I've ever enjoyed a Wonder Woman story and the most I've read Wonder Woman and been excited for since the, uh, honestly, the Azarello stuff I really liked. Interesting. That's that's going to lead into something uh, I want to talk about next podcast for sure. Um, we'll, we'll get into that at the end of this show. Uh, I want to ask, I know you finally got it. Did you read, because uh, I don't think we talked about it on the show yet. Did you read any act number one? I did. I, uh, I'll put it nicely. It is a comic book that is not Matt Kent's strongest work, but it's like... He, I appreciate. I love Matt Kennedy, the writer, and I. He does so much I like, and even this is cool because he he excels at like weird, shady government agencies and things on the background, and all that is good. But it all feels like stuff he's done better in other titles he's done. Have you had a chance to pick up issue two yet, or are you planning to pick up issue two? I am not planning on picking up issue two, to be honest. Okay. The only reason I ask is I do feel like issue two is better than issue one. Okay, that's good. But, but I don't think if you if you really strongly disliked issue one, there's not enough in issue two to turn you around on the series. Yeah, it's so again I this part of, it's weird because part of it feels like a lesser mind management. 
<clears throat> and I love mind management. And it all like Matt Kent. Does, I love Matt Kent, but it just feels so much of it's just not. I'm still very confused on why this was the story. Out of all the stories he has coming out, literally right now, mm-hmm. why this was the one that went the bad idea. Right. Because he has like four books coming out right now, and I'm loving all of them. But this one's not quite there. Yeah. I don't, and I really don't know. I'm confused. As like he, to my knowledge, he is like, if not co-owner, a very high holder. No, I think he like co- he co- he co-created the the company. Yeah. With with the Valiant guy, he's he is. This this is as much his baby as it is the other guy. Um, I was I was really curious as to what your your take on the first issue was because I know you're a Ken fan. I uh, I appreciate him, but I've never he, his work has never connected with me the way it has with you. Um, so I was really curious. I think you're yeah, you're dead on. I think with your thoughts from the for your review on the first one, where it is a it is a well written comic, it's a well drawn comic. I think people out there, I I'm hoping it finds its fan base that can really like it. Uh, I am with you too. I hate when you sell me an awesome cover that has nothing to do with the story. Yeah. It's got such a... It does have a killer cover. Yeah. Uh, David Lapp... Yeah, the, se- the second issue does not. Um, it doesn't. No, the cover's quite dull. Uh, this, the, the David Lapham story in the second issue is also... Uh, really interesting. Um, he's basically doing like little five minute O. Henry stories in the back yeah. with with some some wacky sci fi uh, conceits, and uh, they're really good. Um, I it's, they they don't fit the tone of the main book at all. At all. That's why that's what I was going to bring up. You, you know, we literally just talked off Mike. I am a huge David Latham fan. I have I have David Latham art in my house. I have I have love Stray Bullets. I've been reading uh, his Batman run, and I'm loving it. Uh, I'm a huge fan of him, and I like my favorite part of the book was like his just like little few page stuff at the end. And it is weird because it is so like it almost feels like it literally could have just been ripped out of Stray Bullets. Like it is, like you said, not really connected to the main story much. It's not really uh, anything like it uh, at all. Yeah, I appreciate that it exists. Uh, yeah, it's an odd one. It really, it almost feels like they were like, hey, David, do you want to part of this book? Yeah, well, here's the story. No, 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 this is the story I have finished. I'm giving it to you. Right. And that, it's kind of the same thing with issue two because it's this, the same situation. There's a little five-page backup strip that he does, and it's fun, and I like it, and it's interesting, and it is nothing like the main strip, and it's so, so weird. Um the reason I asked about ENIAC was because I wanted to use that as kind of a segue also to talk a little bit about um, – I, I, I said I was going all in on Bad Idea, and to this point I have, and to this point I am really starting to regret that because I was really looking forward to tankers. Robots or like mech suits versus dinosaurs, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm that's, that's, that's up my alley, I feel like. Uh, Robert Venditti has written some, some entertaining comics. Uh, his Green Lantern run is more or less pretty – solid um i didn't love his exo man award but i know a lot of people who did and i there were things in there that i appreciated about it uh tanker sucked the first issue was really dull um the, the big thing for me i don't mind if your characters are assholes but you've got to give me something to hang on to you know you you, you can't that a team of assholes 
with no redeeming characteristics, there's got to be something there. That's why I had a problem with the first issue or the first episode of Archer yeah. because the, the humor hadn't coalesced yet. So it was just a bunch of assholes standing around being assholes at each other. Um, this, and that's what this is. All, all the tankers are just military assholes and they're supposed, you're supposed to derive some comedy from the fact that the guy that brought the team together is from Texas and there's a bunch of Texas jokes in there. Um, the the twist ending. Okay, so the plot of Tankers. Do you do you have any idea? No, I have no clue. Okay, so the plot of Tankers is since mankind is running out of oil, um, we they are sending a team of mercenaries and mech suits back into the past, along with some scientists who are going to divert the comet that that causes the extinction level event of the dinosaurs to. Uh, be off by 10 million years. Therefore, we have 10 million more years of dinosaurs to create 10 million more years of crude oil for us to then have access to. They divert the comic. They come back to modern times. Oh, shit, there's still dinosaurs. The comet never actually caused the extinction-level event. Uh, there are dinosaurs everywhere. I mean, that's, that, that's a, I guess that's a fine story. I feel like there's more that could be done with that that isn't. But there's not a single – I don't feel like there's a single character in here, much less a single likable character. They're all just a bunch of faceless assholes. They have faces. They have names. I couldn't tell you any of them. They have no defining characteristic other than, oh, this is a jerk that wants to murder dinosaurs. It's dull, 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 dull. and I am really disappointed. It's – I, I, I'm committed to buying the next two issues because I'm not going to screw over my LCS like that. But I, um, I, I was mildly disappointed in ENIAC, and I felt like I, uh, but I, but I'd already again I'd already committed to buying four issues, and I've, I have faith in Matt Kent as a writer to maybe pull it out into something interesting. Yeah. After this first issue of Tankers, I am, I, I, I am. <clears throat> Frustrated, frustrated, yeah. verging on angry. I, I'm, I am no longer excited. I, I now view the the bad idea purchases I will be making as a burden I have placed upon myself because uh, I don't want to disappoint my comic book store as opposed to books I am actively excited to read. And I hope that changes. I hope that one shot that Adam Polina's drawing that comes out in a couple months or maybe next month, yeah. Uh, Change changes things. I hope that the the book from uh, Marguerite Bennett uh, maybe changes things. But right now, the, the the two initial launch books for this for this new company have been really tremendously disappointing. That's kind of a lot of what I've been hearing from people, and it's weird because you don't get a lot of reviews because a lot of people are reading it. Like yeah, I don't mean I mean I just mean because of how it is put out and how. It's shift and everything. It just makes it hard for reviewers to get copies. Yeah, apparently um, I got actually lucky to get Tankers number one on the day I did yeah. because apparently there was a huge, massive diamond shipping issue and, and uh, some stores didn't get any act number two. Some stores didn't get Tankers number one. Some stores didn't get either. Yeah, it's odd all around because also wasn't a whole thing like they were, they were shipping directly and weren't going through a distributor or something I thought. I, 
I, I think that was initially the plan, but then they ended up going through Diamond. That's the thing is the, the other the other thing, and this is what pissed off not my LCS owner, but one of the main guys that works there. They have backed out on so many of their initial promises for what they were planning to do as a company. They were like, you know, the initial plan was, you know, no first, no no second prints, and then it became, well, we're doing second prints, but they're not first prints. They're just we're not doing tiers of, of second prints, and then it was we're not going through distributors, and then it became. Well, Diamond is going to be distributing us, and there there have been like a couple other situations where it's just like yeah. they 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 said you know contractually we are going to do this, and then they've been breaking contract. But if you break contract, you know you get shut down as a bad idea store, which we have seen happen. Which I very odd to me because like the no the no because I definitely remember the no second prints and stuff, or and then it became oh well. If there's a man, we will print, but there will be no distinguishable difference. Except for literally the first ENIAC print has like a white cover, and the second one has a black cover, making it instantly recognizable which is which. Yeah, and then on the back of the covers, um, as you notice, yeah. it actually says first print over and over and over again with a barcode. So, Which, have they literally made kind of a, a wink and a nod joke at that, and every issue ever printed had that, that would make sense. But the fact that there is a distinguishable, oh, no, this is a different cover, goes a com- yeah, completely against their entire. Yeah, the idea that they don't have a variant cover. If you change the logo cov- color, that's a variant cover. That's the definition of a variant cover. It is, di- is a different cover. And they, I don't think they actually made their rules explicitly clear that if you bought you know, they, the one-per-customer rule, well, technically – a second print is a different comic, and they intended that to to remain one per customer, regardless of print run. But they didn't make that clear either. So, which also some stores, some stores violated the the contractual obligation without honestly knowing for sure they were. Well, that's unfairness. That's all about is sharing pictures out of people like holding that they had bought like you know first and second print, them sharing that all over Twitter. Like, yeah, that's yeah. some dumb bullshit there. Uh, yeah, there was so much, which also, that brings my whole thing, because I've been hearing a lot of people talk about, like, digital sales versus physical sales and all, blah, blah. I, I don't think anyone realized something, a qualifier no one talks about, which is a comic selling, like, bad idea. Say they sold on a high end 15,000 comics, or issues of a comic. Right. Just because 15,000 issues of ENIAC were sold definitely doesn't mean 15,000 people bought it. Right, because we're seeing, like you said, we're now I know that's seeing. That's what they wanted you to think, but yeah, that's what. That, but now we're seeing where it's like a lot of people did that, and I ENIAC or ENIAC, bad idea was like, like you said, it was supposed to kind of be like, oh, well, we're get, we're fixing that problem, we're fixing the scalper problem, and if anything, they kind of do what I feared they would do, where it's almost becoming a comic just made for scalpers, right? Where it's literally the speculator market run. If the speculator market could have its own comic book, this is literally it. Where it's Four comic shops only, all these weird qualifiers, and the content... At you the get end, a button if you're the first person to buy it. Yeah, at the, at the end of the day, no one is talking about the content. Mm-hmm. Even the people that like it, I don't see any tweets about how the, the stories are. I just hear, I was the first one to get this. Oh, I look, I got this. Oh, look, I got this and this. Like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Did you like the story? Did you read the story? Right. And I... It feels that's where it feels weird because I, 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 unlike you, I will say I have seen some positive 
word word about that bad idea is tweet out because I do follow their Twitter still, yeah. unfortunately, because I'm a moron. And but the thing is, all the the positive commentary has been super generic. It's like great work, bad idea, love the issue. They don't go into detail as to why. They're just it feels like they're just putting out positive tweets to try to get retweet traction from bad idea. Yeah, and that's not, and it's fine. But you are right. The little bit I've seen, it's not even like special qualifiers where it's like oh my god this was so fun it's literally like this was good yes like oh, well did you have fun did you like it did you not it's it's the both spacons we can all you know if we all of us and we like something we can put out that like this was a blast this was fun but there is a genuine difference you guys feel like you can tell between someone who's like literally liked it and was just putting out in the world hey i like this yeah this is cool versus you guys are doing the best work i've ever seen in comics it's like uh, I put out three issues of uh, is, is it that good? And you, like you said, yeah. it's hard to tell. It's hard to really gauge it. Uh, something that did recently come out and is amazing, a little bit for the hype, was uh, Tom Taylor's Batman the Detective. I'm so glad. I'm super glad. And apparently, it's just a mini series. Yeah, which actually makes me really excited because that means I can pick up a nice hardcover collection in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, uh, one. It is, uh, you can tell Kubert fell even more in love with the Miller style after working with him on Dark Knight 3. <laughs> because it is, I feel like if you were to travel back in time and hand someone, they would think Miller drew it. Oh, in, wow. in a good, yeah, but not really. Let me, let me take it back a little bit. It is clearly very, very inspired. I, I'm, I'm a little hyperbole there. It's clearly still Kubert, but it is that very, like, him doing a Dark Knight thing where it's him drawing... You could. This could almost fit into the Millerverse just based on style alone. Nice. Like it still has a lot of Cubertisms, but there's also that Miller vibe there, and it's. Uh, no, I'm guessing not. Like it's how it's worded and how it's written is honestly very clever because it's kind of hard to narrow down continuity, which I'm mm. a big fan of. Basically, yeah. the entire story is at this point in this Batman's career, which I love how this Batman's drawn too. Like. How Bruce Wayne is drawn, the Batman is drawn. His like he doesn't feel like he has any reason left to be in Gotham. And there, and at the beginning of the book, it starts off with this plane crash that Knight of Knight and Squire is on. So he goes. Oh shit! Okay. So he goes to England to uh, figure out what's going on there. There's a lot of great moments. Like there's a gentleman ghost fight scene that's incredible, where Batman has. Uh, gloves that he talked about he had one off uh, Constantine had one off of a demon gave him to Batman because Constantine uh, doesn't like fighting using his hands anyway uh-huh. and little things like that <laughs> there and uh, do you want spoilers or do you care about spoilers um we'll go ahead and put a spoiler note here uh, go ahead and skip a few if you want to I um I'll okay. go ahead and take the spoiler because I'm not going to read it for six months I'll hopefully forget by then well I think it actually helps because it's kind of the whole point of the book Okay. So it's him talking about like he feels like the only it's throughout the book it's him talking about how he, he doesn't feel like he's made the city better. The only way he's made the people the city better is the individual people he has saved it has made their lives better. And I feel like he's done good in that regard. Mm-hmm. Because he has made their individual lives better. There's a, again a lot of cool stuff with Knight and Squire. It feels very much like a weird combo of like Batman Inc. Morrison meets Frank Miller Batman. And uh, but the big reveal at the end, you find out that the plane that crashed, where the, this new group was calling on Batman, 
they had rerouted fr- uh, routes of playing so that every single person on that plane was a survivor that Batman saved previously. Oh, okay. And so they, they crashed that plane. Uh, yeah, a lot of this really dumb, for, like that fun adventure Batman stuff where like a, when he, he beats up Gentleman Ghost later and he's talking at night in the bed at the hospital and she's asking like, oh, well, did you impress Squire? And he's like, I, and he's like, you know, being very serious and he kind of smiles like and something like, I did punch a ghost. <laughs> so it's kind of like Batman Universe, it sounds like. A little bit. Like it definitely, I would say darker than that. Like it definitely again. I, the best way I I really think the best thing is thirty percent uh, like Dark Knight two and like seventy percent Morrison Batman and Robin Batman Inc. That's cute. I like it. I'm very excited. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to checking it out. It is. I love Taylor. Oh, it's it's so, great. it sounds like the Taylor that showed up for uh, In- Injustice. Oh, it's great. It is. It is a book that I I really think m- might break Tom Taylor into the like top tier echelon. If it continues what it is doing right now, I really think he can end up on that like top tier list very soon. I. Good. I would be shocked if when this wraps up, he doesn't end up on Batman proper. I hope so. He deserves it. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, Tynan's doing his thing and having his big run, but Tynan's doing so many awesome things elsewhere that I don't think he's needed on Batman, where I think Tom Taylor, it could help right. really cement his legacy and make him... Well, see, I kind of hope Tom Taylor gets like... I mean, if, if Tynan wants to keep uh, Batman, put, t- put Taylor on Detective. That's true. That's fair. Oh well, Detective's also not horrible right now. Uh, it's it's been in the doldrums, so I'm glad to hear it's not awful. I I I've been I bought it because of Robin backups, and I I enjoyed it. It's a oh, it's a writer I really like. I forget. It's a is it, is it still um, Tomasi? No. Okay. It is. Uh, wow. I just completely blanked so when, I, when I referred to the book being dire, I meant that was during the Tomasi run. It was, uh, it's pretty fucking dire. I completely blanked on her name. Wow, that's going to be... It's not Clunan, is it? No, it's not Clunan. I know, I'd be talking way more about it if it was Clunan. It's, uh... Oh, she wrote... She was writing one of the main writers on, on Future State, too. I might have to look this up real quick now. Because, uh... It is a writer I quite... Quite love. Well, while you're looking that up, I'm going to talk about some of the old comic books I've been reading because I've been reading a bunch of old stuff and uh, inspired by Falcon and Winter Soldier and also uh, my artist, Derek, uh, being a huge, 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 huge Stuart Eminem fan. Mm-hmm. I went ahead and picked up the all-new Captain America Hydra Ascendant, which I mentioned earlier in this episode would have been a great adaptation for the Falcon and Winter Soldier series. But it's the six issues where uh, Sam Wilson became Captain America during um, – Rick Remender's run before that book was canceled for Secret Wars, and when it came back, it was Dick Spencer, and it kind of fell apart. These six issues, dude, are fucking fantastic. It's Sam Wilson as Captain America facing down Hydra and Baron Zemo, and a lot of capsule foes um, making appearance, cameo appearances, and uh, having single-issue fights. There's a great moment with the armadillo. Uh, Batroc shows up, and it's just, I fucking love Batroc. He's so dumb, and 
yet so charming. Um, a lot of flashbacks to uh, Sam Wilson's past and kind of what they talk about on the show of um, what it means for a black man to be Captain America. Um, Baron Blood shows up. It's just it's and it's all it's like Stuart Eminent showed up to just fucking show off. The art is some of the most amazing Stuart Eminent art I have ever seen in a comic. Um, I am both bummed that it uh, it only got six issues and kind of thrilled that it's a self-contained story. You know, you could just hand this graphic novel to somebody and be like, this is this is what Sam Wilson as Captain America was and just have them read a really excellent story. I love it. I really hope uh, people rediscover it in light of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Hell yeah. By the way, it is uh, Mariko Tamaki. Oh, shit. Yeah, I'm a big fan of hers. Yeah, no. I forgot she was on Detective. I'm really glad to hear that. That makes me happy. Yeah, her and Williamson, I think, are. I think Williamson's doing some plotting and she's doing the writing. Okay. Yeah, no, Tamaki's great. Yep, no, so she's been. Yeah, she did great work in Future State. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, she did uh, that uh, Hulk series with uh, the more serious uh, Jen Walters, She Hulk, being going through some PTSD, and uh, Supergirl Be Super with Joel Jones, which was yeah. a, a book I really loved. I have also been reading some uh, old, some random older books too. I read, uh, I mentioned City of uh, City of Pain, the David Latham Batman book. I've uh, the uh, Nighthawk book from a couple years ago from uh, David. What is he? Yeah, David Walker and uh, David F. Walker. David F. Walker and Ramon Villalobos, uh, who I fucking love his artwork a shit ton, and uh, I'm falling in love with that. I uh, finally going back and reading. Uh, Lee was for a gentleman, uh, the Tempest. Got to finish that out. Cause I never, for whatever reason, I never finished it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one that surprised me, going back to the quietly interview we started uh, talking about, I had no clue about this book until he was talking about it. The uh, Mark Wade Frank Quietly Kingdom sequel. No clue that existed. So I've been reading that. Uh. I thought I thought he just did the uh, the Plastic Man issue, the Plastic Man. Yeah, issue. The, the Offspring. Yeah, Offspring. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I read all those way back in the day. The Offspring issue is one of the best of the not very good sequel. Yeah, I I, see, I really dug it, but I get I don't know. Mark Wade is uh... the thing I hated about that book. I, I can tell you right now. I yeah. have Such a strong memory. Mark Wade was really, really, really trying to set up Hypertime, which as a concept I actually really like and I wish DC had had the balls to follow up on. But there's a moment where um, Batman is like, what's Hypertime? And it's, it's such a not-Batman moment. What should have happened is that Batman looks around at the equipment and then starts explaining Hypertime better than the guy that was running Hypertime. Uh, it's just It was such a weird... Putting that question in Batman's mouth was just such a weird thing for me and such a tonally distant thing for the characters he was being written at that time in the late 90s. That's fair. I, uh, yeah, no, I, Mark Wade, I love Mark Wade. Mark Wade is one of those writers that he, like, has the highest of highs and just some weird middle ground lows. Yeah. And I, it's so weird because I, he's one of those writers where I give so many things he does a shot just because I never know what's going to be the next, like, great Wade story. Because you have like Kingdom Come, you have Daredevil, and then you have 
like some. I was I was a huge fan of Empire. Actually, uh, I wish that he'd continued his second run on that because I think he only got like four or five issues in, and then it just mm-hmm. kind of stopped happening. But his his initial run on Empire was fantastic. Irredeemable had its moments. Um, yeah. I didn't. I the big thing for Irredeemable for me was I did not like the art. His his Legion stuff is always pretty top notch. That's true, and uh, it's I here here I feel like it's so it's so weird because he had such like one of the best Daredevil runs of all time. I mm-hmm. honestly, for me personally, it goes Frank Miller, Mark Wade on Daredevil, and they're I mean completely two opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's why I like them because they they were able to kind of where we again talk about the Hickman stuff. They were both able to find that core of the character and just go about it in completely different ways. Yeah, well, again, it's something we talked about. And it's something Lance used to rant about with with good reason. Daredevil may have one of the single best like collections of great runs on a on a solo character because oh, yeah. and and yeah, Mark Wade is is top. Five, if not top three, because I would put uh, the Bendis run somewhere up there. Um, the uh, oh god, what is her name? I always blank on her fucking name. Why do I do that? Uh, Anna Anna run. Oh yeah. Um, honestly, again, the Chip Zdarsky run. I know a lot of people love the Charles Soule run. I was not one of them. I mean, uh, honestly, yeah, I I know it's one of the first ones I read, but I still uh, Kevin Smith run. I, Kevin Smith doesn't do yeah. a lot of great comics, but for some reason, he writes a great Daredevil. His eight issues were really, really strong, even though um, the the reveal in issue seven does not quite match what we are told in issue one. Uh, that those eight issues are very, very strong. Yeah, I'm I, I'm this insane ton. I think they're definitely the best comic book work uh, Kevin Smith has done. I would I would honestly I have to reread the first eight issues of his 12-issue Green Arrow run. Because I feel like Quiver... Oh, that's true. That's fair. I forgot about that. His initial Quiver run is spectacular. I think that's once true. he introduces Onomatopoeia, it gets a, it gets a bit messy. But the, the initial that initial block of issues yeah. he did is... You're not wrong. That, that and his first... His, his eight issues of Daredevil are one and two, and it depends on the day you ask me which one I put where. That's... It's so weird, because, like, I know we both have varying feelings on Kevin Smith uh, throughout time, but saying it's so weird that he is literally with uh, Daredevil and Green Arrow. Some of his early comic work wrote, you know, two uh, two defining stories for those characters, mm-hmm. and just for whatever reason, just has not really matched that since. Like he, I know, I don't want to shit on anybody, like just shit on him because right. I, like, his stuff has gotten enough shit on it. Let's be honest. And his Batman, I, I can always appreciate when people do take a different take or a different voice. And I think we've talked before. I think his Batman was a good example of he's just such a Batman fan that him writing Batman became kind of hard because he wanted to shove so much in there. Yeah, and then also it was it's it, it was during that time when it, he he'd gone from being Kevin Smith, the next Martin Scorsese, to. Kevin Smith, big booming letters, and was like, I'm going to get my friend Walt Flanagan to draw my Batman comic. And Walt Flanagan is a perfectly cromulent artist who just did not really bring that much energy to it. But in fairness, that's a hell of a good friend move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so fucking awesome. That's... 
Yeah, I can't see that. See, it's something like that, uh, again, even saying that, it almost makes me like him more. So let's be honest. Batman we can continue with or without Kevin Smith, but he gave us for, like, his friend now had the credit of, hey, you fucking drew Batman. It's true. I mean, yeah, Batman Cacophony was drawn by Walter Flanagan. It's just Walter Flanagan is a, a uh, very, like I said, he's a perfectly cromulent artist. He's yeah. perfectly fine. It's true. Yeah, he's not, oddly enough, probably by no means the worst person to draw Batman. Oh, God, no. Not even close. Yeah, there's been a, there's been some way every, every year. Although Batman, there there was a Twitter, did you see that the Twitter post going around? It was actually kind of interesting to me. It was talking about certain comic characters that could, uh, like, for whatever reason, be drawn in whatever style and still work. I actually retweeted that tweet, yeah. Oh, nice. Batman... Batman is, uh, yeah, one of those characters. You could draw him the Jim Aparo style and give him that really slim, uh, muscular swimmer's body, and yes, that perfectly attracts as Batman. You draw him like Frank Miller, like a fucking tank, even without the, the bat armor on. Like, yes, that also attracts as Batman. Whereas, you know, Spider Man, if you don't draw Spider Man like a weird, awkward, skinny dude, is 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 it Spider Hulk? Has he been has been hitting the Bane juice? You yeah. know what is what is up with this? It is, it is, it is so weird, the ones that work, because someone don't, you know, in that, like, he made that list, and I was kind of going through in the comments, and see if you, and it's just bizarre when you look at certain characters, just like, like Batman, again, the turtles, for some reason, work extremely well, when you translate yeah, he's, like, he's like, you know, Ninja Turtle, and it's, it's, it's a more rounded figure, Ninja Turtle is yeah. a taller, leaner, more actionable figure, yeah. Uh, oddly enough, like, I know in the comments, a lot of people are talking about Wonder Woman's another one, who, she's been drawn a million different ways, from sleeker, bulkier, tall, small, and it always kind of works. I feel like with Wonder Woman, all you really gotta do is you gotta nail the height. Yeah. That's... I think that's fair, depending on who she's around. What that's another weird thing though too, because through the year she's kind of. Well, that and Gal Gadot is like five foot four. Yeah. Uh, it, so you kind of going around, but yeah, it's weird because like that works really well, but then other, again, other characters just doesn't like uh, Wolverine's one. Wolverine can be drawn a million different ways, but mm-hmm. like Cyclops and the Jean, especially Jean Grey, kind of hard to draw her in different ways. Yeah. Well. Cyclops, I would argue, because you know there there was supposed to be a reason he was called Slim Summers, but yeah. then Jim Lee came around and you know bulked put him, him on a diet of protein bars and gym yeah. and bulked him the fuck up, and he's still he's still red as Cyclops. But I feel like ever since you know past Jim Lee, a lot of artists have worked to slim him back down, especially people like Chris Anka and uh, Chris Piccolo mm-hmm. and any other Chris you could name probably drew Cyclops the less skinny here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for something like Jean, like Jean Grey, just she's a good example. She just does not uh, work any other way than like the way that you picture Jean Grey. Like her costume yeah. can change, but that's about it. Which God, I you know what though? I will if we finally if the gala does finally get permanent new X Men outfits out there, I'm all for it. I don't know why you hate the green and gold so much, but I I love the I love the flashback armor. I I love the I love the late sixties graduation look. Well, yeah, I think it goes back to earlier. You kind of between quietly and that's talking about earlier hit it where I'm I kind of like New X Men brought it for you know you had Jim Lee and Claremont bring it to the nineties, you had Claremont bring it to the eighties, and you had Morrison bring it to the two thousands. I don't. I like X Men always, you know, evolving. 
Right. And I don't like looking back for the inspiration. I think it's, I don't like it because to me, especially now where. Well, how do you, how do you feel about uh, Wolverine going back to his brown and gold costume in the same vein? I'm not a big fan of it. Okay. I don't hate it, but also I think a thing for me is it they don't like on when you see them all on the page together they don't mend like they don't blend very well they don't you've talked about that before the x-men yeah. not having a, a central uh costume theme really bothers you it really well yeah because they're a team and, and i think cause in the past like even when they didn't match like aesthetically the giant x-men number one team even though they are drastically different in colors, aesthetically they still look like they are together. It's like the guns. Well, they, they they all look like they were had costumes designed by Dave Crockrum. Yes, uh, <laughs> they have like the Guns and Roses effect of they individually all look like completely different people from different bands, and for some reason you put them together and like, well, they actually do look like they go together. Yeah, they look like Guns and Roses. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I think the Hickman stuff in difference is like. Every, I think that's part of the problem. Like every, yeah, actually, that's probably part of it right there. Every character looks like they're on in a different decade, mm-hmm. and because of that, they all look like a hodgepodge of different X Men eras instead of a united front. That's an interesting point. Um, I can't really disagree with it. That's a, I, I really like that reasoning. I don't necessarily agree. It doesn't really bother me, but I can absolutely see where you're coming from. Yeah, I guess that's like I think quite. I, I guess I again the quietly went over my eyes like, oh yeah, that is why I like that because he was talking about how one reason why Morrison wanted him on that book, uh, and same thing with the Flex and Tala book is because quietly doesn't read a lot, especially then and today doesn't do much more, but doesn't read a lot of comics. Didn't like come from a fully comics background. He mm-hmm. drew comics, but he was like more into just like. Uh, aesthetic, you know, into graphic design, into yeah. logo treatments and things like that, and like it's See, cr- he, uh, he really reminds me weirdly of Mobius. Oh yeah, in that in that he's an absolutely beautiful, forward thinking, and game changing comic artist who doesn't really consider comics his first medium. Well, that's so interesting enough. Well, one thing he talks about is that uh, the quietly gaming Sandman story is uh Originally, why he got that book is because originally that that like story was written for Mobius, but by the time they got around to it, he was too sick to do it. Gotcha. And that's why was, was that in the uh, was that in Endless Nights? I believe so because one of the ten it's like a ten page. Yeah, it was either, I think that in, was... either Endless Nights or the other one that I forget the name of. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think Endless Nights. Uh, yeah, but I'm ninety percent sure it is. I think so. But they talk about with X Men. They're like, that's one reason why we had no problem, literally just throwing out as him and Morrison were talking about taking the core and throwing literally everything else out, mm-hmm. and just come saying, you know, we don't give a shit what came before right now. We're not going. We're going to act. We're going to take this is what it is. Don't look at this as what happened before. Look at this. This is what the core story we're telling, and we're going to move from there. And it was it was really cool just hearing that like oh yeah that's probably that is why I like it I've always been that person that I just love new shit mm-hmm. that I haven't especially that I haven't seen before and I, I even got like Wolverine the X Men even though it was very similar to what we've seen from X Men because it, you just put the twist of oh it's Wolverine and it's like the teacher teaching a new way or Uncanny X Force where it was such a darker interpretation of X Force than we've seen before. Where it was taking it, it kind of it's like natural conclusion of like, oh, this is a, 
a darker, darker, darker one where I, I, as a, I really like, and I think, again, Hickman is such an idea man, and I've realized I think he loves the X-Men so much. Yeah, where I kind he of is think, a huge X-Men fan. I kind of think you need an artist with teamed up with him that is just like, I don't give a shit about the X-Men. I just want to make him look cool. Right. I don't know who that would be, but... Right. Yeah, there's there, there's a reason that prior to Hickman, the two most popular uh, and most well-regarded X-Men runs since 80s Claremont were Grant Morrison and Joss Whedon. Yep. And it's because they hit the exact two opposite 180-degree ends of the scale in that Morrison threw out literally everything. And then Whedon came in and was like, well, you don't have to throw out everything, but here's all the cool stuff you did, and here's all the cool stuff Claremont did, and I'm going to mix them all together and make you know a, a, yeah. a, a very fun and interesting and beautifully drawn stew out of all of this uh hodgepodge and and again but like you said also at the same time keep moving it forward yeah. which i think was i mean if you want to get into some some marvel continuity uh snaf, snags and snafus the fact that they brought back chris claremont the issue that uh after Morrison to to back clean up and to make the X Men as recognizable as X Men again post Morrison, uh, and then brought in Whedon a few months later to kind of do his his mishmash thing, yeah. shows how scared Marvel was of what Morrison uh, ultimately did with the book. Uh, from what I understand, if I remember correctly. They did not give him permission to have Wolverine decapitate Magneto at the end of his run. That wasn't supposed to happen. That wasn't something that they'd uh, had any plans for. So the the fact that it happened and got published is kind of a miracle. Yeah, well, I mean, it's one of those things where it was selling really well, it was doing really well, but there was again, they were so scared of what it meant. Which it is weird because I feel like we're still playing catch up to it because it's like we're just yep. now accepting that that book happened, even to the point yeah. where we've like slowly accepted. Oh yeah, secondary evolutions are a thing. That's that's uh, that's Morrison though. That's Morrison for you. The work that they do is is so consistently inventive yeah. that that it, it very often misses its audience at the time. It took people 10 years to figure out that Final Crisis is a good book, including myself. Yeah, I'm going to label my, I'm going to put myself on, on that pile as well. I really did not like Final Crisis when I initially read it. It wasn't until, again, speaking of uh, making a Hickman comparison, it wasn't until I read Final Crisis as a, as a hardcover collection that I realized what he was trying to do and what story he was trying to tell. I will say that motherfucker there's, I don't know if there's a more perfect encapsulation of his work as a miniseries, as a storyteller, as multiversity. Multiversity oh, yeah. is goddamn perfect. Multiversity is looking scary back. Scary good. Scary good. And also, like the foundation to what the DC universe is today. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I don't know for sure, but I almost wonder if it's almost like the anti Jeff Johns book. Yep. Because it is. I can absolutely agree with that. And I, you know, I don't even mean so anything negative Jeff Johns. I, cause I, we do, we've talked for, there's a lot of Jeff Johns books, despite all recent stuff. There are Jeff mm -hmm. Johns books that are very good that you are, are like must read books. His, his Green Lantern's foundational. Oh, I, yeah. I wish it. I almost wish it wasn't because it sidelined John Stewart to uh, to a, a criminal point. 
but it's still a goddamn collection of good collection yeah. of stories. Well, it's just crazy because hearing like uh, on Dangerous Humans when Clune and Connor are talking about how important uh, multiverse, like the map of the multiverse was. Scott Snyder talking about how important the map of the multiverse was. Uh, hearing all these different people like uh, Gerard Way with Young Animal talking about the importance of multiverse and kind of fitting it in. It's like that event, not event, but kind of whatever you want to call that book is kind of like exactly what it needed to be where the literal map of the multiverse in the DC universe, the literal idea of where everything spawns from. It's like, it's kind of become almost the Bible. And how they relate. Yeah. How they relate. And it's like, it is almost like if someone asks for the DC universe Bible, I kind of feel like multiversity is it. At least for the 21st century. Yeah. Well, I mean, this crisis on infinite earth was the Bible for the 20th century. Uh, that's fair, but I mean, for, like, for better or worse, you could you could argue because of the nature of multiversity, it kind of includes a lot of. It could also it, <laughs> it covers stuff like, again, like you basically have Watchmen covered in it. You mm-hmm. basically have uh, the this idea of these characters that you know are again. That's something that not to toot their own horns too much, but like Morrison, Moore, and Kirby might have been the only people to like truly understand the grasp of introducing an idea that could last for decades without people fully realizing the full potential. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think more begrudgingly so because yeah. more really does not like the fact that so many of his ideas have been expounded upon. He, um, he did at one point. He just, uh, but he did at one point. Yeah. Well, I get, he's mad that certain, he's mad that certain ones did. Like, I think he wanted more of his Superman to be expounded upon more of his, uh, more of his swamp thing to be expounded upon more of those books and not as much, right. not as much. And, and, and not the tossed off line about the blackest night prophecy being turned into like a year long event. Isn't it? We're getting kind of rambly, but I will sit bring this up. Isn't it really weird that Jeff Johns clearly one of the most like in spot and biggest inspirations for him is Alan Moore? Clearly, easily, yeah. But yeah, he like couldn't be further off like his writing style. Oh, for sure, dude. It's because and, and again, speaking as someone who's just read read owns and defended for far longer than he should have. Jeff Johns. One of my favorite things to point out about Jeff Johns. Um, is in the the dark side war the uh dark side uh, yeah dark side war um okay so when jack kirby created the anti-life equation the anti-life equation for kirby was um fear and like fear of the other fear of uh, outsiders, inclusivity, nationalism, oh, actually a lot of what uh, the, the more recent neo-Nazi movements have been preaching. Uh, that, that is that is anti-life to Jack Kirby. Um, for Grant Morrison, anti-life was literally an equation that changed your thought processes to despair and a loss of hope. Mm-hmm. For Jeff Johns, the anti-life equation is a super big laser cannon. Pachop, pachop, pachop. Look at everything blow up. Yeah, and that and that's Jeff Johns's approach to literally any of his influences. Yeah, it's weird because if you look at like kind of the direct lineage of, if you want to call it direct lineage, it is really interesting because like yeah, of course Alan Moore has more. John. He's influenced like you could argue like every creator to a degree. But like when yeah. when you look at certain people like. 
You can you can kind of make a lineage of like Miller to like uh, Scott Snyder almost. You could, I mean, Morrison. You can clearly go like Millar and Way make very clear sense. Mm-hmm. And it's well, very Millar uncomfortably so. Yeah, and Millar uncomfortably now, but yeah. Where they dated? Where can we, can we just finally say say that that high, Millar high, and Morrison dated, and Millar fucked over Morrison because he dated them to get a career out of it, and nobody's saying it, but that's exactly what the. Uh, I mean, if you if you read between the lines, I feel comfortable saying they had a relationship, and Millar used Morrison to get a career, and then either decided, you know decided he was straight or just dumped him and doesn't talk about his latent could, whatever yeah. sexuality. I, I, I really feel like just, just reading between the lines of what hap- of what we've seen in public happen between the two, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, I don't disagree. There's something weird there. There's something very weird there. Although, it, yeah, just going, it's just weird because I, Jeff Johns, I would almost, like, he almost feels more of like I don't know. Uh, this, I don't mean this mean. Like, I think they have merit, but like almost feels more like a lie-filled kid. You know, I can't. I can't disagree with that. Je- there, one of my favorite trivia pieces about Jeff Johns is um, when the new Superboy was introduced. He wrote a fan letter uh, that said that he thought. That the other, the human half of Superboy's DNA was Lex Luthor. And DC was like, no, ho, ho, young fanboy, that's a great idea, but that's not actually the case. And then Jeff Johns gets a job at fucking DC, and Jeff Johns starts writing fucking Teen Titans, and oh, what happens? Turns out Superboy's human DNA is fucking Lex Luthor. So. Yeah, it's, it's that same kind of, I created this when I was 16 energy that Rob Liefeld brought to X-Force. You're absolutely right. You're not wrong about that at all. My question is, now we've been talking about influences and, and who begat who, and you know Moore is so clearly an influence on Jeff Johns. For as much and as po- important as Jeff Johns' work is to the industry over the last 20, arguably even 30 years – is there a Jeff Johns disciple? I mean, the thing the closest you can get is Peter Tomasi, uh, and even he has moved on beyond the the Jonesian influence. I can't think of a of a current big name writer who you could track to be like, man, that guy is definitely waving that Jeff Johns flag. Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, I hmm. I don't know. Right. It's hard it's to press. It's so cause, weird because so many people I would almost equate them to other to others if I before before him because mm-hmm. uh, like even even though Johns won our comics collision, I feel like you could point to more Bendis disciples than you could point to Johns disciples. Yeah. Uh, you can, I mean, fucking Scott Snyder teaches a fucking class that his students have then gone on to work at DC. So yeah. his his his. Uh, his his followers or his uh, his, his, group his is, influences are like right there because they literally they they literally worked underneath him. And I feel like the same way Peter Tomasi came up under Jeff Johns in a very similar way. But again, I feel like Tomasi has gone beyond his Jonesian influence. That's, um, yeah, that's a very interesting point because yeah, I like so many people I can think of like oh, this is kind of. People who are, you know, the next generation who are inspired by this person, who are inspired by this, and I can't really... 
Yeah, I can't point to someone that's clearly like, oh, they clearly grew up loving, you know, Green Lantern Rebirth or Flash Rebirth. They clearly followed just this. And I, I do wonder if almost if it's because Jeff Johns is a great entry point for a lot of people, but he might not be kind of the what they hang their hat on at the end of the day. Right. Like, he's at... Or, or maybe maybe his influencers are so obvious that it's easier to pick out, you know, if you, you can't really say someone's a Jeff Johns influence if they're just showing off their Alan Moore tendencies. That's true, too, because, yeah, I don't, yeah, because, I mean, there's plenty of people where it's like, uh, that, you know, do similar things. Like, you could, like, Tom King did a lot of similar things to Johns, just he kind of I probably had a but, but better he, understanding he, of, like, where it comes from. Yeah, well, the thing about Tom King is he is such a formalist that you just it, it's it's you take out the middleman and you go straight to more is he influenced yeah. by jeff johns almost certainly but he is so obsessed with the formalism of it that you just you immediately identify the more not the johns no it's true yeah and that that probably has a lot to do with also that how just comics medium changed how arguably i mean from two thousands to now, mm-hmm. there were so many creators and like so few and so much upheaval, and so much upheaval industry. and so many names, like so few names came to the top of that era mm-hmm. that like stayed at the top because there's a lot of people that have very. It's so weird when you look at like the famous, especially like two thousand two thousand ten. There's a lot of famous comic stories. And you have no clue what the fuck happened to the people. Especially yeah. writers. Like, it's weird to look like Judd Winnick. We've talked about time. Maybe one of the most <clears> underrated <throat> writers of that time frame. He <clears throat> just disappeared. Yeah. Or somehow metamorphosed into Zeb Wells. I'm not entirely sure. I need. To, I, I feel like there's there's potentially yeah. a, uh, a, a story there where, where Judd Winnick just like went into a, a chrysalis state and when he emerged he created this fan film for marvel uh that got him some some marvel comics writing work yeah it is some weird shit there and then you had because like really at that time frame who do you have that got big you have john's uh mark millar that's when he really became kind of yeah Millar, Bendis, um, Bendis. Who, who we've already talked about to death. The big one for me that I was thinking of is Roberto Aguirre-Sugasa, but he went on to basically take over Archie Comics. Ah, uh, okay. Like, he, he is the reason the the Mark Wade um, person who drew Saga, whose name is escaping uh, Fiona Staples, yeah, yeah, Archie Comics happened. He's the reason Afterlife with Archie became a a sensation that it was. He's the reason Riverdale exists. Um, but but he had a really acclaimed uh, Fantastic Four run with Steve McNiven that nobody remembers now. Obviously, uh, then you have. I guess yeah, I say that, but I guess you actually do have a lot of names. It's just not necessarily DC and Marvel names, right? Because yeah. you do have like Robert Kirkman, Becky Cloonan coming in that time. Yeah, Gerard Way with Umbrella Academy. Uh, What's his asshole that wrote uh, that miniseries that Becky Cluden drew? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, the, you also the uh, serial harasser, uh, Brian Wood. Yes, thank you. Uh, you have uh, Paul Pope around that time really started getting big. Yeah, you. Ha- I mean, you have a lot of people, but they like not so much necessarily associated with the big two. 
Right. Now, I, th- I think of the big two, the biggest name you're, you mentioned is, or the, that could be mentioned in context is, um, you're right, Judd Winnick. Chet, uh, yeah. Which, he... And somebody needs to collect his Green Lantern run in, like, nice yeah. big He had such a good, like, there are so many great things that he did that just kind of went under, like, completely, like, again, of course he had the obvious, obvious thing that he did that everyone talks about. But with the, Pedro? Huh? Pedro and me? Well, I was talking about Under the Red Hood, but... Oh, fuck, of course. I, I, I forgot that was Winnick, to yeah. be totally honest. Uh, also Pedro. Um, <laughs> Winnick is, a, is the... Winnick and Graham Morrison, obviously, are are the reason that Kyle Rayner is my favorite Green Lantern. Yeah, no. Uh, Morrison's work on JLA, and then, honestly, even more than Ron Barr's, uh, fucking Judd Winnick's run on Green Lantern is the reason that I'm a Kyle Rayner fan. I, I want those comics in a nice collection. God do, damn it. Do you think that the possible... This is literally the last question I end on, because it's getting late. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> the last question. We've talked about Morrison. Morrison a lot. We love Morrison. Who doesn't? We love Morrison. Uh, but... They, they do- remain our patron saint. Oh, of course. Uh, they do have a new book coming out. and uh, Not in, you know, well, it's in the near future, but not for a minute. Is there a chance? You, well, I mean, there's definitely a chance. Do you think they could finally do what they've been, like, people have been trying to do forever with the authority and truly integrate them into the DC universe, like, fully? And make it I don't, I don't know. Because I don't, I don't think the authority works in the DC universe in the way that uh, Wildcats could, or Grifter can, or even, um, honestly, Apollo and Midnighter by themselves kind of can still, uh, I feel like, function. I don't think the Authority works as a DC property because Dark JLA, for one, there's the Elite already, but for two, Dark JLA just isn't a concept that works in-universe. It's a concept that works outside of it. That's, that's well, see, now, this is, well, this is where you're not reading DC right now is going to screw you because of how they're presenting the current time for lines and multiverse i do wonder if they could almost like exist within universe but outside of the main area that the justice league occupy that's about the only way i could see it happening is it would have to be in a multiversal thing because i do one thing i do like i'm just i'm just now catching up on uh death metal um in on uh DC Universe, and I like that they are making a lot of use of the Bleed, and also of the Authority's ship inside the Bleed, within the context of that miniseries, so um, I mean, yeah uh, on on a multiversal level, sure, absolutely, but if if the Authority and the Justice League both exist on Earth Zero, or whatever the main primary Earth is at the same time, it doesn't work for me Dark JLA it's just, it's just not a concept that works when you have the actual JLA. If you put them in the future, where there's like where the J, the JLA has fallen apart, sure. You put them in the multiverse where there's no JLA well, on that particular Earth, okay. So you but have, other than that, no. So you currently have, uh, you know, with Wally West taking over the Flash book and Barry is now on the team. Like he's a representative of that multiverse on the uh, I can't remember the team it's called. The one with the the Morrison's president, Superman, and a few others. I, I could totally see them fitting into that, that like guy, like the guarding for, force of all these different multiverses. Yeah, 
I'm curious. I'm really curious. Again, at least a character. Like if you're if you were to put Apollo on that team, sure. If you were to put Midnighter on that team, sure. But the authority as a group. I mean, the the doctor being a former heroin addict, the, you know, the engineer. I just I don't see those characters as a, as a whole as a group. No, I don't see them working on on an individual character level. Sure, but that's a different story. That's a different. That's I'm a different curious. Thing. We're about, well, we'll find out if, if anyone can do it. It's definitely Morrison. For sure. Yeah. And uh, he, he he is more than welcome to prove me wrong. Uh, yeah, especially right now with the. Uh, Something about the title of Superman the Authority just, it sounds like it could be something really awesome. Yep. I don't know what it'll be, but uh, I know, I know, I know we'll be there. Oh, for sure. That is, uh, I'm not buying a lot of DC right now. In fact, I'm not buying any DC right now, but Zdarsky's Justice League and um, uh, Morrison's Superman the Authority is a book that I will be purchasing uh, toot de sweet for sure. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there because I'm tired. It's late. We haven't had it's one. It's like one o'clock in the morning. Isn't yeah, it? we haven't gone uh, this late on an episode for a long time. It's two o'clock in the morning. Jesus it's Christ! Two o'clock in the morning. This episode's getting to about getting closer and closer to the three hour mark. I figured. I figured, I thought we'd actually crack three hours. So yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. Mean, it's it's every once in a while we need to do. A, a, a three, you know, a close to three or three plus hour, blah blah, just to honor our roots. That's true. That's true. And this is a this is a big one. We had a lot, and we still skipped a lot. So we did. We, we skipped so much. Uh, listen to Dangerous Humans for our Godzilla versus Kong reviews. Yeah. Um, we we meant to kind of rehash that on this episode, and it just didn't happen. Yeah. I did get the prequel graphic novel. I haven't read it yet, but God damn. Oh, you did. Yeah. The, no, tell me about it. I'm so excited. The name I, I didn't get the Godzilla one. I got the uh, Kong one, but uh, yeah, the the they goddamn better use this for a movie. The name Kingdom Kong is brilliant. Uh-huh. It is. It's just it like is absolutely is. I was what it's one of those times like how has no one done this before? Yep. Like this is too like this needs to be. Godzilla's probably out for a little bit. Fucking the, the next movie, Kingdom Kong. Yep, 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 yep. I'm, I'm, yes, 1,000% yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I, I mentioned I had some big news I wanted to share at the end of the show. It's not big news. It's potential, maybe exciting news. So you've, if you've listened to the show for a while, you know I've got my writer's fingers in a bunch of different pies. Um, there is a – man, I even hate to bring it up because I don't want to jinx it, but I also promised that I would. There is a chance in hell – there is a minuscule chance that um, my big, my first children's book, Monster the Monster, might see actual publication. Uh, yeah, it might. Uh, it might no longer be something that you have to specifically come through me or the artist to buy a copy of. Um, I am submitted to a small publisher uh, online. They have the manuscript and the art now. Um, we will see what comes of that. There's no guarantee anything. There's no guarantee that even if something comes of it, it'll be something worth pursuing uh, for Derek and I. But it's a it's a step forward, and I wanted to share it with you, Colby, and all of y'all. There, you might be able to buy a children's book from me sometime in the future. That's fucking awesome. Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm trying not to get too terribly stoked. 
Sounds good. No, I, uh, I'm very excited. I'm very, very excited. That could be awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, next week, we are going to be doing yet another Blah Blah Comics. This one's going to be a little bit different. Colby and I were talking about it. He has a newfound uh, love of Wonder Woman. I need to catch up on some Wonder Woman reading. So next week, we are going to do a series overview of Grant Morrison and Yannick Paquette's Wonder Woman Earth One, Volumes 1 through 3. Yes. Uh, I already have one major question. I am super looking forward to asking you, sir, because I know that you're a big fan of the Azarello run. Yes. So I'm really, really curious about your answer. But I can't ask it until next week. And that's my teaser for uh, next week's episode. So please tune in for that. In two weeks, we'll be doing a Respawn, uh, Respawn or, or Spawn Origins, Volume 16. Uh, so if you are listening to us for our Spawn content, check out out for that as well um that volume is gonna put us right on 100th door oh excellent i'm so excited about that i'm really looking forward to the uh to the big uh this anniversary issue because like i said this last volume was uh was not for me not my cup of tea so i'm I'm really excited to get to the the next level yeah i think next volume will be like issues 93 through 98 i believe so yeah, sounds about right. We are, we are right. You may there. you may have to adjust the sound level of that. I whistled really loud. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, it's like thank you everyone so much for listening. It means a lot that you stuck with us through all the rambling, through all the stories, through all the Grant Morrison praise. Because let's be honest, there's never enough Grant Morrison praise. We've said before, we'll say it again. Uh, the the entire goal of his podcast is one day to get Grant Morrison on the podcast. That's I mean, yep. that's the entire goal. Let's be, let's not let's not play any games here. Just get them on the show talking because if you, uh, if you want if you want to murder blah blah podcast, get Grant Morrison on the show because once they're on, we have no reason to keep going. Yeah, I, I think I I think I jokingly said if Frank Miller ever comes on the show, that's the final episode. If Grant Morrison ever comes on the show, that's the best episode. Yes. Frank, easily and by far i will um, say how i'll put it uh morrison on the on the show is the uh probably the fast and fury the fast five uh miller on the show is the fast seven <laughs> because it's like it'll be the, it'll be the peak of crazy with without going overboard anything after that is literally jumping a shark Yes, too much, too much. Uh, we want to know what y'all think. If uh, if you want more crazy three-hour episodes, if you want us to shut the fuck up, either way, let us know. You can shoot us an email at blahblahpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash blahblahpodcast. We are almost never there anymore, but you're welcome to use it. You, you absolutely can, and, and it will show up, and we'll see it, and yes. hopefully one of us will respond. Um you can hit us on Twitter. I am at blah blah pie. I'm at Hellhound F five. Which is also his Instagram name. Right. My Instagram name is Blah Blah Podcast because I am not as good at coordinating as he is. Thank you all so much for listening to this absolutely long ass batshit episode that we both adore. Hopefully you did too. Join us next week for some serious deep dive Wonder Woman talk. We love each and every one of you. Good night. Bye everybody. Thank you.